you sat next to me and we ha fucking hated each other. And one day, you showed me a card trick and I was the most annoyed of, of all to annoy you. I learned a trick and came and did it to you. If it takes you 25 years to hey. build a table and you sold your wife's wedding ring and you sold your car and your house in order to afford this table, there is something wrong with your <laughs> table. <laughs> so I, I went up and I was just like, hey, you want to see something? <laughs> and I'm like a 12 year old kid. Oh and these two goodness. guys are like, uh, depends on what. <laughs> and I was like, it's magic. <laughs> Wait for it. My rook and bishop is his losing move <laughs> because it switched my psychology. Carl McAdam, thank you for coming. Thanks for having I've me. I've talked to you on the, about this. Oh, I've talked about you on this podcast a lot. Oh. And um, it's always about how you sat next to me and we ha fucking hated each other. And we just found ways to annoy each other. And one day you showed me a card trick and I was the most annoyed of, of all until you told me how you did it. Then I was even more annoyed. And then I went home to annoy you. I learned a trick and came and did it to you. And then to annoy me, you went home and did a trick, learned a trick and came back and showed me. And then we just annoyed each other the whole year until we were like, oh. Skyrocketed out of control after that. Really. Yeah. We're like, oh. Shit, we're actually quite good at this now. Okay, I guess let's start annoying other people. And then we just became magicians. We spent every <laughs> single session in Year 9 English doing nothing but cards. Shout out Mrs. Noom. Mrs. Noom. Mrs. Noom. Honestly let us get away. With murder. With absolutely everything in that classroom. But to be fair, to be fair to Miss Noom, you know, like... I, 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 it became a career. So, it did. So it, in, it did. Th in theory, you know, so in, in theory, which was the good teacher after all, right? And she couldn't say shit to be fair because exactly. we, we were getting good grades. So it was like. We used to get <laughs> merits and excellences, which, you know, they're pretty good grades. And there were people sitting behind us. I remember there was doing all girl. the coursework. She would everything. sit there the whole time learning. And when we got our grades back, I just remember looking back and see and achieve on her paper. Oh, bro, that's always so brutal, eh? Like, you see a guy do, like, so much work. I remember in stats, there was this one guy, he had a folder full of crap. Like, And I was like, oh, shit, like, test is tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing uh, yeah. at all. So I, I just, like, Skype some some guy. I'm like, bro, what are we doing? And he's just like, this is the marking criteria. This is what you do. I'm like, sweet, got it. Go in, full marks. I look over the guy with the folder, the whole semester has been like taking notes, achieved. I'm like, oh, oh no. You know, it's, that's always rough. Now, I had this guy at university named Ben Dari. Yeah. You might've met him before. I feel like I heard that name. I don't Michael's, Michael Daly's friend. Okay. Um, this guy in engineering, he would study for the test, sometimes hours before the test, and he would still pass. We, we were confused as to how he still managed to even pass. Right. Because these tests weren't easy, you know. Mm. It's like once you get to university, if you try to do that mentality of like, oh, I'll just study the night before, you normally fail. I found that out the hard way, ladies and gentlemen. I found that out the very fucking hard way. <laughs> the problem is I also picked a degree that doesn't, that is not conducive to that study style at all. Because... Like if you go for like a logic based one where it's like, oh, formulas, this, that, mm. just have to work out the answer. 
all right, let's assume that maybe you could, you know, quote unquote, like, you know, genius your way through, which I'm not a genius. Mm -hmm. I probably would have failed anyway. But like, let's assume like if you're smart enough, maybe you figure it out. But if you're like doing like biomed and you haven't memorized a textbook, there's not much else you can do. Like there's, you know, you can't just be like, oh, let me cram. Like what? A a whole textbook? Like what are you going to cram? Like you need to know everything. Like, (laughs) so it's, it's, yeah. Um, that was a that I was heard a, a quite a good analogy once for biomed. They say that when you're deciding between biomed or actually, I was doing health side, but like health some side, of the papers, but it leads into it really. Up, well, some of the papers crossed over. We mm. had some of the same. Yeah. They say it's like trying to hit a hundred golf balls in a minute. It's possible, but it's really hard to do, right. and you have to be like really persistent and you know train mm. well to in order to do it. But then, like, on the other hand, if you're doing something like um, engineering, it's more like the tasks are simpler, but they give you so many of them to do right? that it becomes overwhelming. Mm. So if you're not, like, quick with it, if you're not, if you're not if quick you with it, if you don't have it under control, yeah. then you're going to... Yeah. Like, you have to be productive. And that's what I found out, like, you have to kind of learn the system of university to mm. kind of get through that way. Which is annoying because I was, I, annoying. I had the high school system very on lock. Nice. Like I yeah. knew the system very well. That's why I was like, you know, able to get away with a bunch of shit. Um, and they changed that system. Yeah. Again. And then the other problem is when you don't have university school or whatever pushing you to learn shit. And then you're like, you have a career of some, of some sort. And you're like, oh, I should upskill. Okay. Let me pick out a book from the 1800s. Some old cunt wrote about... <laughs> 15 different ways to do double lifts and oh, you gotta yeah. sit there and just read all right index finger goes to this side the other finger pulls down and you're like oh my god what like you know no one's there to motivate you you just got to find your inner mm. passion to like get through the boring shit to f- somehow apply it in a way that's actually fun you know yeah so, like, that's, exactly. that's another thing i found that's problematic is like it's hard to motivate yourself when you're not <laughs> when you when you don't have a what? system pushing you I remember back in the day, the only thing that you'd really do when you get home was magic. I, we used to do it on the way home. If you're on, uh, yeah. on the bus, walking fr- to the bus, from the bus, yeah. And there was actually very few times where I'd find you without a pair of cards. We actually got so into magic for a, a long while that we joined the IBM, which is like the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Uh, that might be a different... Uh that for the IBM? Brotherhood yeah, yeah, of Auckland. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's my certificate that I yeah, might, no. that might actually be expired because I feel like I haven't paid my... <laughs> I had that little pin that they yeah, yeah, gave yeah, yeah. Me. During the COVID lockdown, I got called up by... What's his name? That guy who used to give us rights? Oh, Sid. Sid, yeah. Oh, what a he good called cut. me up yeah. and he's just like, I just needed to check on members to make sure they're okay. And I was like, oh... Thanks, Sid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Sid was a good so, guy. So yeah, that was Sid nice. Was, yeah. Sid was a guy that used to like pick us up. We were like 12 and he was like, he was old at the time, you know, and uh, picked us up, drove us to the meetings, hang around with us, drove, drove us back home, you know? Um, and like, it was pretty cool, you know, because it was hard to get transport mm. and he lived kind of relatively close. So yeah. And then I met him like recently, I well, not recently, but like uh, right after the pandemic, the, code, the lockdowns, uh, I did like a lecture um, about like social media and magic and stuff. 
and he was there and I was like, oh, Sid, you know, and then talked oh. to him and he looks the same, bro. Right? He hasn't aged yeah, honestly, a bit. It's yeah. crazy. He sounded the same. Yeah. He's, he's such a cool guy. Um, but he yeah. hardly used to perform magic either. Nah, no, I swear he used to go to that club and just watch. There's a lot of hobbyists. Yeah. There's a lot of hobbyists that aren't even like hobbyists in the sense of like magic hobbyists. They're like, they just enjoy magic. Mm. They enjoy knowing how it works. And that's as far as they really take it. Like there's not really like a mm. performance component. There's not like performing full-time and I'll do some magic in a sec. Um, Cause it kind of relates to this, but performing like professionally, you realize that the method is like 10%. Mm. Like it's not like, it's not, it's not nothing. Cause obviously if, if, if they, if the audience figures out the method, that's kind of, you're kind of screwed like that. That is the point of magic. Right. But the performance aspect of like actually performing, there's so much like that trick you did to me the very first time. Mm. Okay. And I've done it so much on this podcast. I almost don't want to do it, but I'll do it anyway. Um, can you tell me what's your favorite card in the deck? I think, is it the King of Hearts? The one stabbing his head? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that one's how far down, let's say. Oh yeah. So the King of Hearts, yep. It's got mm. a stabby, stabby thing. It's always, the only thing is it should come out the other side. That's the only thing. Unless yeah, it's a short I think sword. that's some of the cards. I'm not sure if I've, oh yeah, mine as well also doesn't show the other side. Yeah, yeah that's all right. Yeah. But yeah, so the King, if I shuffle like this, you're not a card counter. No. As far as I know, maybe you've learned some skills in the last while. I have watched 21. All right. That qualifies you, I think. No, it doesn't. Any any Sky City people watching? Ban them right now. Ban them. All right. Um, all right. So just tell me, we need like three, no, four cards. All right. So just tell me stop four times whenever you, okay. so just whenever you feel. Yep. Yeah, that's one. Keep going. Yep. Is that on camera, by the way? Yep. Uh, do you want this one or that one? I was about to take this one up to you. Uh, just the one on top. All right. Cool. Uh, keep going. Yep. This one, which one? Uh, the one on top. The top one. Okay. And one more time. Yep. One on top. The top one. Are you yep. sure? Yeah. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, I wish I kept going. No. All right. Fair, fair, fair. Right. So it's right there. Um, now, obviously, if you said stop anywhere else, the outcome would have been completely different. Mm. Um, but you said stop at these four with your left index finger. Touch the back of a card for me. My left index finger. Okay. Yeah. Let's touch this one. Hold up. it there. Hold it there. So right hand, you can cross if you want. It makes it a little bit harder, but that's up to you. Uh, touch the back of another card for me. Let's touch this one. All right. So hold it there. So look, if you went for this one or if you went for this one, that would have been just a, another choice that you were going to make today. Right. Um, but that's not what happened. Can you um, pick one of those cards up and put it in my hand? Face up, yeah, face up, yeah. So that's the five of hearts, right? So if we if we recap, right, you said stop wherever you wanted. Mm -hmm. I gave you plenty of chances to change your mind. You did not want to change your mind. You kept wanting the top card, mm. which is kudos to you. That's, you know, very strong, uh, what would you call that? Strong sense of uh, freedom and choice in America, mm. you know? All right. America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, <clears throat> you said stop from initially. Then we had four cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Then you chose which to eliminate, and we are left with one card. Now, you said at the beginning your favorite card was the King of Diamonds? King of Hearts. King of Hearts. Mm. The King of Hearts. I don't know. You take a look. And that is a flashback, ladies and gentlemen, to the very first time. Now, that's a nice trick, you know. It's simple and then so it's straight great. to the point. It's yeah. great, but 
I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know how much you remember of that performance you did initially. Now, you used four cards then. I, I remember my original performance with you was six. It was six cards, yeah. So And I had a lot simpler method than you did. Mm. Now, I think, I don't know. I, I'm assuming here, I've, in, in terms of your method, you're using some kind of dealing method in order to yeah, there's a cheating manipulate. Yeah. There's a cheating technique involved. But let's even put that, that aside, right? Um, I did a lot of, so I was, I was performing, I, like I've been performing this trick since you showed it to me. So mm. it's been my longest performed trick of all time. Right. Oh, wow. Um, and every time I did it, I would like try something else. I would add a little bit. I would subtract a little bit. Like I would try to see how I could make it really strong. Right. Mm. And initially I think I did it with six too. Uh, and then I realized that six can sometimes lead to problems because mm. sometimes you have to add another step, which is annoying. So then I, I went up to four, all right? And then I was like, oh, sweet. Like I, I have this down and I started adding that and this and the other. And then I watched a DVD by, what was his name? The guy recently deceased. He had this crazy hair that was like, it was very sharp. It was like a big bald patch, but it was like sharp and he had a ponytail. God damn it. It was a mentalist. Recently, me and Richard Webster talked about him um, in the last episode, but mm. I forget his name. Uh, not previous, no, last, second to last episode. Anyway, rest in peace. But whoever you are, um, the guy gave me some good fucking shit. So from there, I was like, oh my God, like this is the simplest concept. And I've just realized something deep about the psychology of it. I'm like, holy mm. moly, there's so much more to it, right? And then my latest discovery has been when the last card is face down, right? And this whole premise is that you're doing all the work. I've done nothing. It's all, you're making all the choices, right? The f mm. When this card is face down, Every time now, I, I, I get the, the card slightly wrong when I go. So let's recap. You, you said the king of diamonds, right? And I, and I keep going with it. And they usually stop me like, wait, 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 wait. It was the heart. Right. And then I'm like, oh. And then there's this like tension drop and everyone goes, oh my God, like did he get it wrong? And then I'm like, oh, I don't know. You did everything. So let's, it's up to you. Let's see. Mm. And then all of a sudden from something where they were like, oh, he must be doing something. There's a sense of like, he didn't do anything, right? but it's purely just from like one wrong word. And it like, it doesn't seem like it works, but trust me, I've done it like thousands of times. When I do it this way, people freak out way more than when I don't do it this way. Like now that's one, interesting. So you know what I mean? So there's little things like that, where if you go like, oh, it's just a method. And then you teach someone the method, but they don't know all these details. They'll do it and it will work, but it won't be as strong as someone that's done it thousands of times. Like that's the thing that I've like noticed. Yeah, it, it, really interesting the psychology behind a lot of tricks. I think, and there was this trick that I used to perform all the time. Really simple trick. Um, it normally just involved the jokers in a pack, mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's always a stand-up trick. This one, like I'd always have to um, do this one standing up because I'd never be able to um, do the actual move. Um, setting down. So normally what I do is I just get them to riff it down the side of the pack and I just ask them to stop. But in your case, I'll just let you select the card really. Right. Yeah, go ahead and take it out. And then you can show people and I'll close my eyes or whatever. And then I just ask them to put it on top. And of course the main premise is that I would do a whole bunch of patter and then blah, 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 blah. While I was doing the patter, then I do my little transition or whatever. And then all of a sudden I say, oh, you know, your your card's no longer on the top anymore. And they're like, what? Mm. 
And then I say to them, but you know what we can do? We can actually try to catch your card. Your card's actually a criminal card. You know, it stole the diamond off the ace of diamonds. It's only one, you know, and all this patter, all this psychology towards getting them to believe what you want them to believe makes that trick so much more than the simple method of what it is. And of course, you know, you could simply go in the middle of the pack and you see that the card is surrounded by the two other cards. But the pattern behind it was that, you know, I I would say to them, oh, you know, your cards are stolen this diamond and we've got to catch him. And so what I would do is I would, you know, I'd put it back in here properly and I would say, all right, I'm going to make a trap for your card. You know, I will, I'll, uh, this is, this will be the trap. I'll just make it a simple spring. And then they're like, Oh yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, a lot of people get there amazed whenever you show them a spring mm-hmm. and then you just show them a spring and you say, okay, that, that'll be the trap. And all I need you to do, cause the card trusts you, you know, you chose yeah, this yeah. card. So you need to call the card out. So you just snap like that for me in the top mm. of the pack and call out your card for me. And then I'll trap it with my trap. But we need like some kind of a reinforcement here. We need some kind of like uniform kind of cards. Do you know any cards which kind of uh, are like that? And, you know, asking them mm. that question when they can recall two cards in the pack, which are normally identical, the jokers. Mm. Um, of course, you know, if you only have 52 cards in your pack it's not really going to work but the joker cards always work and of course doing that it works with jokers which aren't identical jokers which are similar and because you know you always have that same kind of similar effect and of course in this pack here (laughs) you've got a little bit of a gloomy kind of a, a joker where you know this guy's staring at some kind of shadow but He's actually, actually uh, it's, it's David Blaine looking at himself sword swallowing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you've if you watched the, have you seen the Reel of Magic? The Reel of Magic. Reel or Magic by David Blaine. It's a TV special. I actually have I think not. it's his best one. And he does this uh, effect, I think to David Beckham, where he swallows a coat hanger. So he swallows a, he, oh, swa- wow. he swallows a, um, a ring. Mm. And then he takes a coat hanger and like does the sword swallowing with that. And then he pulls it out, the rings on the coat hanger. Oh, man, (laughs) you you think of stuff like that and you think about the stuff that we were doing in year nine, we would absolutely, the difference is is David Blaine is absolutely insane. Like, like clinically, I don't care what anyone says. I I mean, I'll meet him and everything, but the guy is literally nuts. That's number one. Number two, he's like a millionaire. So he's got a team of like some of the best magicians in the world making shit for him. And number whatever, three, I think. Um, he's also a good magician. So mm. <laughs> like, you know, everything, everything adds up. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, we used to watch a lot of stuff from David Blaine. I remember. Yeah. And then there was even that funny little video that you showed me the one time of this, like mock David Blaine. Oh, where yeah, the- these two actors were like pretending every single time he was doing this trick to be like, freaked out by this yeah, guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as soon one. as i forgot that one this... we're gonna look at some videos in a second i forgot oh, yeah. about that one yeah as soon as they would do this trick david blaine would just look into the camera like oh like you know he'd do this like super serious yeah, yeah. face and he wouldn't yeah, say yeah, anything yeah, yeah, and yeah. all these guys are like oh my goodness oh my what has he done 
what is he? What did he just do? The, the funny thing is, when we were starting out, I remember go, trying to do street magic because that was what David David did, right? And um, right, right. And like the the intro, I was like, because I, 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 you know, it's when you're young, like you just copy things, like you yeah. don't really know what your identity is, you don't really know where you fit in the in the scheme of things. So I, I went up and I was just like, "Hey, you want to see something?" <laughs> and I'm like a 12 year old kid, oh and these two goodness. guys are like. Uh, Depends on what. <laughs> and I was like, it's magic. <laughs> like just fully copying Oh it. my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, it, but the thing is you got to try on error and see what you're like, you know, obviously that persona doesn't work for a 12 year old. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you find that out the hard way, but like, yeah, you got to play around with it. But to bring it back to that trick idea, right? <clears throat> that is cool because it's thinking more than just the method, right? Yeah. Like the method is the method, but then how do you dress it up? How do you make it something that's like- How do you make it nice and pretty? Yeah, yeah, how do you make it something that's like more than just the method? And then on top of that, how do you hide the method, right? Because right. by giving this patter about whatever you want, like personally, I, I don't like, personally, like my strategy is to talk about cheating and that's usually how I dress mm. up everything. And it's like, you know, if I do any sort of Monty game or any sort of thing, it's like, this is how they cheat. Like try to catch me, but we're just playing for fun. I'm, right. on, your, I'm on your side sort of thing, you know? Um, whereas other people will, will be more theatrical. Other people will do like fully silent. Like it just really depends mm. on your style. Right. Um, but it's interesting cause I recently did a gig and one of the, like one of the people were like, oh, can you teach me a trick? Right. So I'm like, okay, like sure. Oh yeah. Um, and I did a key card principle. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, which is for anyone what is listening, right. It's, it's basically the idea that if you have a card on top, let's say the king, but we don't know what that it is, but you know what the bottom card is and you cut it. Now the king is next to the bottom card that you know, right? Mm. So anytime you spread through, you can find the card that you don't know. And even if the card, uh, the deck gets cut, then they stay, they actually stay together. If they get split, then they're just back in the original spot. And then if they get cut again, then you're right. So the idea is like the key card principle, very classic thing, Ro Royal Road of Card Magic. Like you can read it about it. It's, you know, basic. Um, and like, you see it. So I'll, I'll teach, I'll, I taught her, um, she's like, I want to do it on my husband. I'm like, all right, cool. Mm, mm. I taught her and she instantly like, was like, oh, okay, cool. And I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait. That's like nothing. You haven't learned shit. <laughs> like, wait. <laughs> and so then, then I'll start going on about like time dilation about like spread, like, okay. So you, you've found the card now, like these are different ways to like distance yourself from the method. Like mm. maybe you put the cards completely away and now you're reading their mind. Maybe you're, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, like do a lot, anything, but don't just do that because yeah. that by itself sucks. Right. Mm. Um, you got to method change it and you really got to dress up the trick. Mm. Otherwise it's, it just becomes quite boring to mm. the audience. And a lot of the time they can actually figure it out. You know, they put their minds to things and they can figure out things quite quickly. Yep. Which is what I like about my, my way of presenting because it's sort of, um, it's like a mock, um, it's almost like mock confrontational mm. in a way that if you catch me, it's just a fun, fun, silly thing. Right, right. You know? Like it, but it is like some people think it's serious and mm. I, I just feel like it's, I make it very obvious. So it's like, if you still think it's serious, then that's on you, you know? Mm. But uh, yeah, um, let me show you a thing that I've been working on. Okay. Um, just a little thing I read. Uh, Ed Marlow. Do you know who Ed Marlow is? I don't. He but he is, shares your he, first name. He does. Um, he is the inventor of the snap change, my friend. 
of a snap change. Yeah, like the OG. He was he he's considered to be the grandfather of, of card magic. He's up there with like Vernon and stuff. Now when we're talking about the snap change, is this the in hand snap change? Yeah, that this one. one. Straight oh, okay. up. Yeah. So it's not the on the deck. Who made the on the deck snap change? You want you mean the one where they're holding it like this? Oh, I was thinking about the one where you know it's like this, and then you do the whole. Oh, that's <sighs> a that's a uh, Cardini change. Oh, the Cardini change. That's, that's uh, uh, I can't remember his first name, but that was Cardini. Literally, his last name was Cardini. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Um. So, take this deck, give it a shuffle. Okay. Okay. And uh, what I got here is I'm gonna make a. These are very nice cards. Yeah, they're the orbits. Uh, Chris Brown, I believe his name is. Um, so I'm just going to write a little prediction here. Completely white fans. All right. So you can't see this real quick. Now, in terms of shuffling, make sure you never Pharaoh shuffle 13 times in a row. Because the cards will, will perfectly Pharaoh shuffle 13 times in a row. Because the cards always end up in the same order. Now, if you're going for a forced shuffle, that's probably something you could try and go for. But there was a, a YouTuber going through the statistical probabilities of a perfect bridge deal. Oh, yeah. With some impossible odds. Right. And he just showed, I don't know, like eight times or four times or whatever, how how you could do it just by shuffling in certain ways with a new pack of so, cards. So you don't want to do what? What was that? The thing that you said you don't want to do? Farrow shuffling, that, that perfect kind of shuffle where you ah. split it in half. And you kind of like stack the cards mm -hmm. one, 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 like that. And then you fit them together. You do that 13 times. I you get like the same iteration of mm -hmm. um, of card order as what they were initially in. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you could even just do a perfect Pharaoh shuffle and then distribute them one, 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 one with people. And you end up with stool. A perfect bridge deal. In or if you're an, a, a crazy guy, absolute insane, you can do a perfect pharaoh shuffle and then do an anti-pharaoh and strip, strip them up. Strip oh. them up. But I, I'm not I'm not someone that can do that. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, 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 like a ridiculously hard move that is sort of, I wouldn't say it's useless. Mm. You could definitely use it, but it's like, are you really going to do an anti-pharaoh in your show? Like, come on. Okay, okay, so they're, maybe, maybe. they're shuffled now. All right, so um, I, I wrote down a prediction. Right, okay. Um, could you take the deck? Yes. Put it behind your back or okay. underneath the table. Okay, all right, all right. Um, turn it face up so that- Face up, yeah. Yep, so that all the cards are face up. And I want you to take uh, one card. Okay. And reverse it, put it in the middle, close the deck. Now, when you say reverse it, it's like face down now. Yes. Okay. And then pull out the deck and keep it face up so we don't see the card. Okay. All right. Now, just to make sure, because obviously if, if you've done more than one, this trick doesn't work. So that's one. Yes. Yep. Um, can you, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. All right. So just put your hand on top. Okay. Yep. Yep. Keep it there. Okay. Um, now, actually, I want you to, I'm going to write my initials. Okay. Um, He's, and uh, then yeah, so giving me his signature. Yeah, so I'll, I wrote my initials here. You write your initials on this side. Go for it. Okay. 
Wait, should I have taken yeah, my hand off? It's okay. It's okay. Just put your hand back on. So the idea is, you know, I didn't go anywhere near it, right? Right. All right. Okay. Um, with your other hand, actually, yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you this. Mm-hmm. We'll open this up, and I want you to read out loud what that says. It says, "You will reverse the card." That is the, is this the three of hearts? Three, it says three H. Three H. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming it's the three of hearts. All right. Um, would you like to spread your right hand on the table? Spread my right hand on the table. Like spread the cards face okay. up, uh, face down so you can see the reverse card. And that, ladies wow, and gentlemen. look at that. That's beautiful. The three of hearts. That is a lovely trick. There we go. I very much like that trick. Yeah, it's by Ed That Marla. is a good trick. It's a good one, eh? I just, uh, I'll be honest, it was my kind of homework trick. I was just like, I'm trying to just just put more tricks in the bag. Mm. And there's a lot a lot of them that I will like learn and never use. And I don't know if I'll ever use this properly, but I was like, oh, like I know a new one. So let me throw it out there. And there there it is. That is a actually a lovely, lovely trick, that one. I like that. Mm. Incorporates pretty much, I would say, everything that you want in a magic trick there. I was doing all the work mm. and he did the magic. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Just a nice little cheeky prediction. Now, this one I'll be working on for a little bit. And I don't know if I've ever shown this to you. Um, but until then, actually, give me one sec. All good. Because I do need pockets. Otherwise, the presentation makes no sense. Okay, okay. So. <clears throat> All right. Now, this one is kind of uh, my style of magic. Right. In the sense that, as I said, it's sort of a cheating presentation. So... All right. Um, here we have. Oh, this looks like some kind of dice container. Ah, yes. A dice cup. Okay. Now, for as long as dice have been around, mm-hmm. people have manipulated these dice, right? It's uh, one of those weighted die. Uh, you can roll it a bunch of times to see if you're if you're if you're if you're happy with the the rolls. Okay, it doesn't seem that weighted. All right, right. check out the cup as well. So the, the idea of, of, a, of a dice cup, right, is that it's harder to manipulate a die roll. Yes. If I'm rolling like this, maybe I, I pretend to roll, but I know exactly what's happening, and then I roll it in a specific way that bounces a certain way. Mm. Whereas if, if I take a dice cup and I shake, right, and now maybe I put it down like this, it's much harder to manipulate, mm. right? So this is a, a, a way that I like to practice cheating, Okay. And I'm going to use these sort of the anti-cheat technique, the anti-cheat uh, device, and the cheating object. All right. 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 So the idea is, I'm going to take the die out of the cup, yep. and I put it inside my pocket. Uh-huh. Or do I? Right. That's the right. question. Is the die inside the cup, or is the die in my pocket? That's the game. Right. Okay. Right? Okay. Right? So here okay. We go. Let's go then. All right. So okay, I take it. Okay. Now, question is the die in the cup or on the in, inside my pocket? I think it's in your pocket. You're right. You're right. Right. Okay. So it's, it's in my pocket. All right. Um, now 
here's what we'll do. I'm going to do it a bit more tricky, right? Okay. So, cup or pocket? Now it's on the other side. So. Now this one's a bit more interesting because, I mean, it uses things that I would know. Mm -hmm. And I would say neither. Okay. But if you had to choose. But if I had to choose, I would, of course, say the pocket. Actually, it's another. Oh, there we go. Look at that. <laughs> All right. One more time. One more time. Right. So cup or pocket. Okay. I'm going to say the pocket again. You're going to say the pocket? Yeah. It's, it's the cup, unfortunately. Always the cup. Okay. Yeah. So the thing is, right, like at this point, your logical mind, even if you weren't a magician, your logical right. mind kicks in, right? Because you go like every time it goes to the pocket, it's in the cup. Right. What's the first thing you think about, right? The first thing you think about, even though it's in the cup must be that these are not the only ones yeah right? no of course no this runs into the the doppelganger mm. idea i would say you know and this is a very old type of magic but always very powerful you know yeah well so basically you're saying we use more than one die right yeah that's the idea one's a little bit bigger and the <laughs> the second one's actually so big that they barely fit back in ah, so that's look at the, this uh, that's the problem it's brilliant yeah <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's good. Very good. So that's a little cheeky one I've been working on for a while now. That's nice. No, I like that. I very much like that trick. That's now, the funny trick. thing is, like, obviously, the moves and stuff you might pick up because the classic you know, yes. tension vanishes and whatnot. But uh, this is a, this is a genre. It's kind of like the cup and ball, but it adds a it has a little bit of an extra. I'll talk to you about the method later. But right. it has a little extra thing that kind of catches you off guard. Okay. Yeah, so it's not quite just cup and ball. It has a little... A right, little, a little I've extra. got a little bit of a statistical one for you. All right. All right, let's see if you like this one. Okay, so we've got um, three cards here, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell you um, anything except the fact that two of them are jokers mm -hmm. and one of them is the ace of spades, okay? Now, I put them face down like this, mm. okay? And of course, I'm going to check them. Okay. make sure I know what they are. And then after I check them, I ask you, would you like to make a first choice? And of course, before I give you your first choice, I'll Pull say, them slightly back just in case they're not on camera and I'll, I'll lean into it. It's fine. Okay, okay. More? Yeah, towards the edge of your table. That's fine. Edge yeah. of my table? Yeah, that should be fine. A bit more? A little bit more? All right, there we Is go. Is that good? Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Right, now... You will win a fantastic prize if you can get the Ace of Spades, right? Now, this is actually a thing that was used in real life mm -hmm. on many, many a game show in order to fool contestants. But let's see if we can fool the this great sounds... uh, Edwini. <laughs> what did we call you? That the one great night? Fettuccini. The great Fettuccini. <laughs> <laughs> I always loved that name. <laughs> I, still, I still need a whole act with cheese. Yes. And then, then I can call Some myself. Some cheese and pasta. Call myself the great, the great fettuccine. fettuccine. Now, okay. Now, the great fettuccine is uh, going to choose his uh, first option. He's just going to tap a card, and that'll be his first option for which he thinks is the ace of spades. And, of course, the other two are jokers. Now, he's he's going for this now. All right, so what's the... <clears throat> so, Am I just trying to find it? That's You're just trying to find it. You, this is like a, a, we could say, a 33% chance okay, that sure. you would get the prize. Sure. Mm. And of course, there's no 
There's no tricks in this. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. No, I was just trying to yeah. think because you you looked at those two first, then you looked at that one. Were you looking at that one to try to make it seem like that wasn't in there? No were tricks you, at all. Yeah, I know, I know. No but I'm trying to I'm trying to re- like psychologically right, figure right, out. Right, right. I'm just gonna go for a random choice. I will say the left one. That one okay. right there is the ace. Okay. So now that you have your your choice in mind, mm-hmm. what I'm going to do mm-hmm. is I'm going to reveal the card mm-hmm. which isn't. The ace. Okay. Of course. And I know one of the cards, which isn't an ace, is this card. Okay. And you've chosen this card here. And now I offer you the choice. Do you want to go with your original decision? Or would you like to change your decision? Well, I believe the statistical probability is the same, right? The only other piece of knowledge I have is that it's not a 33, it's a 50-50. Okay, so... so I'll stick with it. Why you'll not? stick with it. Yeah. Okay, now... I'll actually reveal them to you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were wrong. Ah, uh, damn. All right. But I'll explain reasons why you should have changed your, okay. your decision. Okay, hit me with it. So when I initially offered you that choice, you actually, you did indeed have a 33% chance. Yeah. But what so many people miscalculate is that when I revealed one of the cards to you, which was not mm-hmm. the Ace of Spades you still believed that you had the same chance. Now, a lot of people actually fall for this. Well, I didn't have the same chance. I had a better chance. Well, no, I had a same chance initially, but on my second choice, right, in theory, yes. I would have had a 50-50, but let's see. It's even more than that, actually. Okay. Now, in order to explain it logically, it actually makes a lot more sense to add a lot more cards right. than just the initial card. Can we add it further back, like around yep. the edges? Sure. Yeah, nice. And of course, okay, again, I'm just going to check these cards. Okay. So in amongst all of these cards now, you can make your choice, mm-hmm. right? Go ahead and choose. Just one? Yeah, just the one card. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you've chosen this card, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to reveal cards which aren't your card. Mm-hmm. And so I'll just reveal... These cards here. Now you're left with two. Mm-hmm. So do you want to change your choice now or would you still stick with your original choice? I still don't see how it's any different. Now the difference is that when you initially chose, mm. you know, assuming that I'd put out the six cards originally, you would have a one in six okay. chance. And the second time you choose, you have your one in six chance plus now the choice that you're why adding it, in between why the is two. it why is it plus though because it's still and if you just isolate this choice right i'm still in between these between two right two now cards, right it's to do with the fact that you've already chosen once and you know that that card now that you've chosen yeah could either have been the ace mm-hmm. or could have been a card that wasn't the ace That's but when i remove cards from your decision, mm-hmm. which weren't the ace, it actually improves the probability of changing your decision on your next pick. If you stick with your original decision, it stays at 33%. Uh-huh. So by forced logic, you actually get a 67% chance with three and with six cards, you would get an even greater probability. <clears throat> okay, so I see how, I see how in theory sticking with the logic or whatever, sticking with the same choice as a one and three. Yes. 
and then changing is a but I still I still feel like the change is a one and f- one and two. Now that's that's the difficult thing is trying to change someone's perception of that. But because I've removed but one and two is still better because I've removed three. this probability, which was thirty three percent. It means by changing your decision now, you will get a sixty seven percent chance likely of choosing the correct ace of spades. Mm. If you change your decision now, it, of course, this is a very that's a hard one to wrap my head around. But this is a very I, I do. Yes. I, I still see how it's an improvement, right? Because if you, yeah, I see what you're saying. Like the first choice is that percentage yes. one in six or whatever with the big numbers, mm. and then the second one is even if you isolate it one and two. Mm. So it's still a better chance, it's still regardless. A better chance. Yeah, but and I that's why it's always easier for someone to determine that when you have more cards to choose mm. from compared to the three, and that's why game shows commonly would use three yeah, I, I never behind one of the doors that have a prize. And a, a lot of the time people never change the choice and they always had a lower percentage of winning because they never changed their choice. So they just they just set it up specifically statistically. Statistically. To try to, well, to not try to, try, to, just to minimize losses really. To right? minimize losses is what casinos do as well. But for those who've watched 21, actually that trick is used in that film. Mm. I think... Um, Early on in one of the lectures that he's attending, the math mathematics teacher, you know, pulls out this this uh, theoretical situation where he's got, you know, three doors behind one is a brand new car, behind two are goats. Right. And he asks him to choose door number one, two, or three, and he chooses door number one. And he opens door number three. Behind three is a goat. Well, depends on the car and depends on the goat because goats can be expensive, man. Yeah, man. Tell you what. Tell you what? <laughs> okay, sorry, I just completely what? I'll, I'll, I'll just that, that reminds me of a specific someone. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's great. That's a cool one. I, mm. I never really thought about that. Like, um, yeah, I'll have to wrap my head around the the addition of the the odds. How you say that? Like, it actually gets more than one and one and two. It, think of it more like you're actually taking away from one rather than having another choice of a fifty fifty, because you started off with. A one and three, mm. and then your one and three turn into a one and three, plus the knowledge that you know that one isn't a, that ace of spades anymore. Mm. So you're more than likely to choose the ace of spades on That's the next a one. Weird one to like. W- yeah. Very very strange, but always change your decision if you ever get the choice. You're more than likely to win. Don't tell the suspectators because we'll tell take half an hour to pick a card. <laughs> Swear to God. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes you give them the choice just to make it seem like... They legit. give you that Patrick star. Uh, yeah, no, they just go, they just go, yeah, I want to change. So, all right, is it, you uh, happy yeah. with that one? Yeah, yeah, I want to change. Like, okay, we'll, like, take the deck, pick one, stick mm-hmm. with it, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's definitely a Patrick Star kind of. Uh, I don't know who's that Patrick Star. Patrick Star, the SpongeBob. Uh, um, it always, I don't know, there's this one episode where he's um, deciding between what to eat at the crab, Krusty Krab. Mm. And um, Squidward asks him what to eat, and he just stares at this menu. Uh, and then Squidward offers him, oh, like offers him Patrick, a, like yeah. Ah, oh, okay. I thought he offers like, him a suggestion, and he gotcha. says to him, "Patrick, why don't you eat a Krabby Patty?" And he's like, "Great idea, Squidward. I'll have one Krabby Patty." And then Squidward offers him another choice: "Is that here to go?" And of course, as soon as he says this, he's offered him another choice, and right. now Patrick's stuck in his uh, state again. Right, so. right. 
It's uh, probably more a retail joke than anything. A paralysis by analysis sort of shit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right, I've been we've been uh, preparing some uh, spicy memes. Okay. Just okay. Uh, just uh, some of them are a little bit of a throwback. Some of them are just a bit more modern, and maybe something you haven't seen. Because here's the thing, right? Our whole relationship feels like it's just inside jokes of random ass memes we found Completely on the internet. Completely random. And we, we, we've we've selected a couple, uh, a few, and we're gonna take a look at them. So, Amy, when you're ready, we'll take a look at that first. Very first episode, very first video. Let's see what that is. All right. Okay. I'm gonna... All right, Kyle. Do you know what this is? <laughs> you might. Yes. You might need to take a take one ear out so you can hear it. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay, my mom just canceled yep. my brother's uh, World of Warcraft account, and he is freaking Now I'm still, I'm still, my my debate is whether or not this this whole thing is real. Yeah, or rigged. This is the classic. <laughs> I think my favorite is coming up. Yeah, I I know exactly what you're thinking. And then he's got to get naked first. <laughs> He's under the covers, and then well, I always wondered how he does this. Miraculously, he's he's not wearing any clothes except for his underwear. He'll never see me again. Oh, oh he goes in in the closet and then out the closet <laughs> real, real quick. In case you were wondering, this is one of my favorites. There we go. There and we then, go. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Bro, my parents would have beat the shit out of me if I did this. I swear to God. <laughs> Protection services, more like. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, oh, now, be honest, Kyle. That's the favorite part there. Now, now, be honest, Kyle. All right. Now, what account would your wife have to close for you to shove a remote control up your ass? <laughs> <laughs> you cancel my chess.com account. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now, the thing is. That's the one video. If you see some of the They've other guys' content, they got yeah. 100 plus. Now, here's, here's what I think. Here's what I've been thinking. Because I was thinking about it, like, you know, since I was, like, looking it up. I reckon the first one was real. I also think. Because it has 108 yeah. million views. And then after that, he gained this persona. So I, re I reckon, like, he is a bit of a loose unit just generally, right? But they made bank off yeah. that video. So like if you get if you make a million, you're making like a couple grand. Yeah, so, off the advertisement. Yeah, so yeah. like, you know, let's say two I mean maybe maybe at the time it went viral, they weren't making as much per click, but still, mm. let's assume a $1000 $1000 a million views. Mm. That's like do the maths please. Is that a It's a million like, dollars. No. 100 million views. 100 million times 1000 per million, it's a, a million dollars. Is it really? 100,000. 100,000, sure. 100,000. 100,000. Yeah. $100,000 off one video. You're uh, telling me they wouldn't fake it for the second one? Yeah, of course. You know what you I mean? Know, like, it's like one of those I would things, do that yeah. shit. Jesus Christ. It's a down payment for a house. Let me, let me, again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but there's, there's some of them that are like, they're like semi real, I feel like. Like mm. the one where he goes to the tattoo guy and he's freaking out. He's like, no. 
I, I don't want, want that one. Yeah, but he's like halfway into the tattoo, so they ain't got to get it done. The one, I saw another one. He's he's cooking something, and he's in some cooking class or something. Oh yeah. Like, no, let me do it. Now see, the, the thing is, but by that point, I feel like it was it was rigged. There was one that yeah. was so funny when he went to gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> And he was like, he was like not tr- like the, the teacher was trying to get him to like do a handstand on a wall. And he's like, mm. no, that's gay. I don't want to do some that. Shit like that. Yeah. And I, I feel like that it was funny as hell when we were like 13, mm. but I feel like that has got to be fake. Yeah. Most definitely. It's probably faked. Yeah. You just, but that first really one, suspect, I mean, there's yeah. no way on your first go, you shove a remote up your ass. Like, yeah. like I don't think that that's like the move. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and you get naked in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's the move yeah. unless you're like already viral. Yeah, you know? yeah. And to be fair, he hasn't repeated that act. So mm. for all we know, you know. I mean, I remember watching this one. It was like the greatest freak out two or something, and he's like playing downstairs on his game, and someone keeps killing him, and it turns out to be his brother. And he's like, <laughs> "Stop killing me!" And yeah, then his yeah. mom's like, "Get off the." It's like, mom, this guy's griefing me. <laughs> you know, you're trying to explain to your mom, especially back concepts then. about a game. Especially just don't back work then, in like nowadays, I feel like everyone's like, oh, these bloody kids and their Fortnite. And like, I feel like a lot of people our age are having kids. Yeah. Or like even just like the generation where it's like they already have like a, like teenage kids. Mm. Like they've probably been exposed to some level of gaming. Yeah. So it's a bit easier to be like, I can't pause the game, mom. You know, like yeah. or whatever. But I feel like back then, you're like explaining World of Warcraft. You know, it's like. Good luck, but yeah, so that's a that's a classic. Mm. That's a classic. No, very much a classic that one. I, I, w- that I one. wish we could rate. We were doing a rate my meme because in this case, this would be this would be the greatest S tier meme of all time. Only because we were like twelve years old when we watched it, and mm. we could not stop watching it. Like I remember watching it, and do you remember watching it in the library? <laughs> in the library. <laughs> oh. oh my goodness! We used to go on some German proxy. In order to escape the 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 website bans that they used to have in the library, the, bro, like there's always we would we'd always find one proxy website that was like one two three math dot com yeah. or something. And you're like, yeah, buddy, you know what we <laughs> want, you know what we want, uh, yeah. And you could just like play fucking tribal wars, yo. That was the game in the day, the the real time strategy game. I where if you logged off, you get absolutely yeah. beat down because there was some hardcore sweat who was 24 <laughs> houring accounts. Bro, there were people that had multiple people log into the same account. It was so, so they bad. Could stay up yeah. at night and during the day. Anyway, we, we actually talked about it during uh, with Ivan when he was here for his episode. Oh, really? And uh, we just got into a nerd fest of talking about Battle Dawn <laughs> and Tribal Wars. Um, Amy, do you have the second video up? Now, this one, this one's a, a, a recent one for you, but... <laughs> I wonder if you've seen this version. <laughs> Have you seen this version? All right. So now, for- Katie, I will say, my wife has actually now started to coin my point. <laughs> <laughs> Last time she was here, she was, was like, I cannot stand that video. I've seen it too much. And now she's getting into it. Yeah. Nah, she- All right, let's see it. Bullet okay. Ball is okay. a high caliber table game designed for the 21st century lifestyle. Just like other sports with international appeal, such as basketball, soccer, and ping pong. It is our vision that one day bullet ball will become an Olympic sport. 
Okay, the object of the Sweet. game is to get How the ball he's... past your opponent okay. by utilizing your forearms and or hands. Okay. Okay. And or hand. My point. My point. <laughs> my point. Just wish he would beat this guy. Traded my Saab in for a, like, a '92 uh, Volvo station wagon with 300,000 miles. Sold my wife's wedding ring. You sold everything. What do you have now? <laughs> I have bullet ball. I'm gonna say no. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to say no. I have to say no. I'm sorry. Oh God. I have to say no. I have bullet ball. <laughs> All right, now here comes the twist, Kyle. We've been laughing at this dude for a good few, probably for a good couple of years. Yeah. Now watch this. I have I not seen this version either until I was looking it up. To, but 100 years from now, I'll be smiling up in heaven saying, I knew one day it would happen. All right, check this out. St. Louis Senior Olympics. Wow. Who's pointing now, Kyle? My point. Who's pointing now? <laughs> Look at him. He made his dreams. Like it's a table game with rules that mimic ping pong. Fox News Benita Cornett shows us what's behind bullet ball. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> Look at him. Look at these dudes sitting at the table. I mean, they're seniors, so they're probably yeah. like, you know, old ho old home, old old people's home. Make it with now, this. my question is... Oh, absolutely. I totally disagree. It's not going to happen. It will happen. happen. This is, it won't happen. It, it I'm, will I'm telling you, happen. it will happen. Go, go, get your life back. Go get a job. I have my invention. And I'm telling you, bullet ball <laughs> is going to be a success. Now, what I would have liked. Hold on to your dreams. What I would have liked right to have there. seen in there. What a good ending to that story. Now, I wonder how many, how many cents he's made off that profit. Of all those tables, because he must have, so he must have been remarried at least five times to afford five more tables, five more wedding rings to sell, five more wedding rings to sell. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to have seen my favorite line in there: how he spent twenty-five years, oh, yeah, that's right, building this table. I had a vision twenty-five years ago. My ex-wife and I, we were rolling this ball of yarn back and forward. Now. If it takes you 25 years to build, a to build a table and you sold your wife's wedding ring and you sold your car and your house in order to afford this table, there is something wrong with your <laughs> table. <laughs> like, I can't imagine what more you could put in a table than this table right here. Well, this table is very nice. And I remember asking you how long it took you. You said it was, uh, I don't know, a few months, you like know, if if we added all the weekends if we, put together, yeah, if we added all the all the working hours, I reckon we got we got it down in two days. But not twenty five years. No, no. <laughs> no. And you didn't have a vision for that time as well. No, no. I mean, we you know we we drew it up and then ordered the parts and I mean ordered the ordered the material and shit. But like mm. that's as far as it goes, you know. You didn't have to sell it to the senior Olympics either. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have to <laughs> sell my car to build a table. Uh, uh, pull up four. That's a great one. Nah, bullet ball is amazing. Yep. All right, so so we're gonna play bullet ball, bullet ball now. The problem is, 
you 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 can you're always protected. Point. You have no you have no gate to speak of. Therefore, it will always be my Oh, great! I do have a similar game actually it's called Clask. I don't know if you ever played. Oh, you have, I think. I brought it to yours at one time. Mm. It's like that little ice ice hockey game thing. Mm. All right. We got another one. We got another one lined oh, okay, up. Okay, okay. And this one is a classic. Ah, uh, uh, yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Now this now, is one of our favorites. This is this is for sure. This is this is an OG. This is an OG meme. OG quotes. We've been quoting this video for like ten years. Easily. 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 So let's let's run it up. I'm gonna show you pure power. Uh, no I'm sound. It may be from the YouTube. It's fine. I have more space than he does in the center. I am vastly superior in my development. This is a cake wash. This is a piece of cake, man. <laughs> no problem to boot. <laughs> ah, he pushes another pawn move. Oh, this man. But another thinking, pawn know, move. Another pawn move. You may thinking. as well resign the game, pal, because I'm going to blister you real bad. In fact, oh my goodness. you go ahead and keep moving your pawns. I'm going to better my position. And I'm going to put my rook The greatest chess commenta commentator of all time. All time. Chess professor. The, the backyard professor. Jeremy Silman trained this, this man well. <laughs> now, I actually Again, bought the Jeremy Silman. pushes another pawn move. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you bought who? the guy that he learnt off? Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember you buy that. I bought I the Jeremy remember. Silman third edition or yeah, I remember fourth that. edition or whatever it was. Way. That's not a big deal. Then the dirty rat. <laughs> Likes how he called him a dirty rat. Takes one of my central pawns with his bishop. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> It's not a bad move. Hey. He's covered with his mind. Not a bad too. move. So this kind of sobered me up a little bit, and I said, "Well, ah, oh, yeah, there we go. The sobering, the <laughs> sobering right, lesson." Check. Besides, he's got a central pawn of mine, so I've got to move out of check. Then he brings his bishop down here to f2, <laughs> and at this point, directly against my rook. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm thinking, man, this is getting bad. He's already got a power on my seventh rank that I can't do a thing about at this point. I'm on the defense, and these pawns are starting to look a little pawns. I really don't like those pawns there. All right, come on. Where's your, where's your classic line? Trapped. I can move my rook out of danger. All right, he moves it. I think it's here. And then he brings his queen down here to h4. <laughs> h4. And I'm kind of beginning point. to uh, sober up a little bit. I'm going, uh, <laughs> wow, this is getting worse. That's a good move. And obviously, my army is over here, <laughs> and my king's over here, and his army is gathering over here. I have to uh, keep track of my king, so I'm going to pull my knight def one to cover the h2 square. And the uh, eight or the uh, G three square. We've got to have a little bit more power. Getting mopped up here. Where is it? For my king. <laughs> then he pushes his pawn to F three. 
nightmare, man. This is not good. A few moments ago, I had him wiped out in development, so I retook with my pawn. And of course, my opponent retook with the pawn, again threatening my rook, opening up lanes to my king lanes. where he can perform a really rather simple checkmate. My king side is absolutely decimated. And I'm scratching my head thinking, you know, just a couple moves ago, I had this guy on the ropes, I thought. And now he's completely destroying me. On the ropes. I'm in trouble. I have to right. move out of danger, but Moves. that pawn is becoming a pain. Becoming a pain. I, I mean, I the fact that you can quote it and you know where it is I is have insane. To do something I about that pump. And then he castled queenside. So he's connecting his rooks now, too. Now you can see why development is only a temporary imbalance because now he's essentially caught me now, in development. The most interesting thing about this is, really is his. some good chess. Well, I see a, a small opening. I see a way His poor chess, and then the, the opponent's process, even poorer chess. <laughs> continuing on. Yeah, like, wait, 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 wait. It's almost. And now I'm keep directly playing, playing. confronting this pawn. So I'm going to be able to alleviate the pressure. Um, yeah, that's the funny part. Is like he was bought probably like one, 400 maybe. Yeah. So it's just two scrubs. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, how to how to turn your psychology around? <laughs> this is how I won. It's like not really. You just made, the guy oh made a mistake. All right, here we go. My king here. This is where it gets and animated. At this point, I really have to get rid of his pawn. And I found a pretty good way. Well, he oh, okay, now he's still making moves. I, I thought it was way earlier on no, that no, he gets no. mad. After, so I think this work. next but, couple moves. You know, I can see if I can try to chase the knight away. <laughs> pushes pawn. a pawn and gives of him a free course, pawn. All he does is takes that pawn with, with his pawn. Yo, that's, that's like a me play so right there. Yeah. Still out, this would be a good move. Ah, shit. <laughs> I can still get rid of this pawn. I can pull my rook up here. And that gives me not only my open file challenging his rook, but it also gives me an access across to But it just goes to show you don't have to, to be an expert to be entertaining, you know? Mm. No, you, so you really don't. All you have to do is go out to the middle of nowhere. To the middle of the Saharan Desert, looks like. I don't know, what's those mountains in the, the back? Louisiana. Is on a gorgeous <laughs> Louisiana. Boot, so absolutely nowhere. I'll lose the exchange if I get rid of that knight. And I'm thinking, well... And I'm thinking... All right, I can apply some indirect pressure and still give my king some breathing room by indirectly challenging... Oh, my like God. <laughs> I didn't remember this. This is, is, this is the longest build-up. So I still have options. This, this is the longest build-up to the greatest quote of, of all time. Here ...to help give my king support. So I think indirectly I can get rid of a couple of the supporting All right, pieces. Alright, back at chess professor. Give me the line. Pass pawn. That pass pawn is on the sixth rank, man. That <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. Powerful. I have to do something about that pass pawn. Not an option. Then he takes his knight and he takes my pawn on c2, forking my rook. Oh yeah, that's right. And my bishop. <laughs> He's just getting so this point boiled over. Last. And it was at this point <laughs> that I boiled over and I said, hold it. Just wait a minute. 
Uh, what in the Sam Hill is going on in this stupid game? I am getting mopped up here. Badly. Badly. <laughs> it turns out uh, that this might move will not be for it. my rook and bishop is his losing move <laughs> because it switched my psychology. Oh. No. <laughs> I sat back and looked out and I said, something's oh. wrong. No, Why no, no. Okay. Why the heck am I getting trounced in a no. game wait, wait. that I had four powers power before he ever did? Oh. And this now would not be fine to anyone else and I, I, I don't give alive. a shit. Oh. oh, this is great. And I thought about it for a minute. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I have been reacting. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay. That's enough. That's enough. All right, that's enough of that one. I've been reacting. Oh my god! Four I powers. I forgot how bad that was. Like, like the fact that he's clearly losing, right? Most definitely losing. <laughs> like, like he, the guy, the, the like. I'm sure if you if you analyze it. The computer will tell you that was a brilliant. It will tell you that Black would have blundered about eight times in order to lose that game. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying is that that net night fork, most definitely, it's probably won. like a brilliant move. You yeah. know, on the it's like it's like plus whatever. Mm. He's like that was his losing move because <laughs> it switched my psychology. And you're like, all right, mate. But the fact that he's so enthusiastic just sticks. Like mm. you know, I don't know. I don't know if anyone will will find that funny, but that's that's worth I mean, it. It's worth yeah, it just honestly, to see it again, dude. Every single time you rewatch it, you kind of ironically keep quoting this man. Yep. And the more you ironically quote him, the more it becomes part of your <laughs> part of your meme personality for life. <laughs> but it's so good because you can just quote it in any game situation. I don't give it like you know. Talk about Nakamura. Talk about Magnus Carlsen. <laughs> talk about the greatest you know chess personalities. Backyard professor, bruv. That's the greatest commentator known to man. It changed the psychology. Got to think about that. He'll, he'll take a winning move and he'll call it the losing move so long as you change your psychology. <laughs> as long as you change, yeah. If you change your psychology, you'll win the game. That is true. That's what he That's what he professes. Now, now speaking of Carlson, this isn't a meme that we've gone back back with, but it's, it's a watch this change of psychology. Okay, okay. You want to show right. that one? This is a this is a real change of psychology. Oh, and, this and one's Magnus good. Carlson. I've seen this one. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was drunk. Oh, he's wasted. Yeah. He's playing like some 30 second increment. funny how drunk Carlson can just whoop anyone on the world, or maybe not anyone, like 99.9% .9 of the population. Yeah, yeah. He's got 5.4 seconds and he's pre-moving everything. You ever seen Nakamura do pre-moves? He's insane. Sometimes he's done like yeah. full like 10 move checkmates pre-moves. Yeah. This guy's in the think tank, man. There we are. There we are. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Bro, I wish I could play drunk chess like that. Every time I get drunk, I just lose like 
like half a million rating. The only thing I've ever seen you do is go to the chess club, spend 30 minutes on one move and then blunder on that move. <laughs> that was the worst. Because what would happen, right? Is I would like, I would hit a point, especially in those long time formats mm. where I don't know if it was like, it's almost like the same sort of fogginess you get when you're like sort of like low blood sugar, you know yeah. that, you know that like just can't stick together. Like you just can't, can't form two, two thoughts. And I'll be like halfway through a game, maybe even like winning by an mm. advantage or something. I'm like maybe two hours in and I'd see a move and I'm like, all right, is this attack? All right. I got to watch out for this. Like if I move there, he can take. So, all right, we, we won't worry about that now. Mm. Let me do this calculation. I would like calculate three, four lines of this I'm like, okay, I'll pick the best one and I do it. And as soon as I move, I'm like, he can just take it. He can just take it. Ah, <laughs> uh, and then I just like rage so hard. Like And then it's all about the backpedal game from there. And then the problem is the next time I'm playing, now I'm anxious because I'm like, will I do the same thing? Yeah. So I can't think even like I'm even worse. You oh, just gotta dude. change your psychology. I think you know what was the issue back then? So since then I've gotten good at a lot of things in different areas. Right. And I realized that back then I I didn't prioritize improvement in chess. Mm. I prioritized having fun and thinking that would like improve it. Um, mm. So I, I only did like, I hated doing tactics. I hated doing any sort of like what felt like work. Like I would always just play games and mm. like, you know, like not really not analyze anything because that mm. was boring. Um, but like, for example, like nowadays, like, because I've gotten somewhat decent at like jujitsu, magic, whatever. Mm. It's like, I know that if I want to get better at, let's say set position, it's like, I got to go in there, mm. drill it, then play with, so well play, uh, grapple with someone either below my skill level or someone at my skill level, but that's toning it down. Mm. Try that position live a bunch of hundreds of times mm. until I start to navigate like the forks mm. of all the options that can happen. And then once I have a map in my head of what can happen and I've mastered the mechanical movement, mm. then I'm like, okay, I know this move. I know this position. We're good. So that's what it takes to learn something. Mm. So I think what I was doing then, I was sort of just like, like just moving things. Cheap skating your learning. Right, right. So now I think like, for example, I, I started doing just for fun, um, just like daily tactics. Like mm. I just started doing them. Um, I hit like, 1600s on the on the puzzle thing which i've never hit before like back in the day i was like trash it's at pretty tactics. good yeah it's tactics it doesn't really matter but the point is i feel like my game has improved just off me casually doing tactics because mm. that was a weakness of mine right so if i did the same with like end games if i did the same with mating patterns if i did the same with you know what i mean now mm. all of a sudden is a systematic way of getting better at the game whereas before i, I didn't actually have a direction i was just play mm. you know uh, and it's interesting how like getting good at other things can teach you about learning mm. and then you can apply them to the things that you want to learn yeah yeah most definitely yeah i actually only ever started getting better at chess when i started choosing one opening mm. to really work on for a long time i was just kind of like oh, i'll just do whichever opening i feel like against this opponent and then i would more often than not blunder in openings because I didn't know what this opening was doing. Mm. And I started focusing on just uh, the Karakan is black, which is like the, I think it's C6 and then you go D5. Mm. So you're kind of, 
really just going for something solid, which no one can do any tricks on. And that's the thing I always hated in openings is people going for opening tricks. Right. Because my middle game was always quite solid. And I just wanted to get to that. Because mm. I knew I my tactical game was quite good. Um, and a lot of the time people would just cheese me before I got to my tactical game and then I would lose from getting cheesed. Right. Um, and as soon as I did that, I started improving rating. I'm, I think my bullet rating went from like 1100 or 900 or whatever it was. I got to like 1600 at one point on chess.com oh, nice, nice. just in bullet. Yeah. And then I dropped to, I think I'm like, like 1450 right now. Cause I haven't really put in too much effort, but there was a time where I was going really hard. Yeah, and that, I remember that time, those days, yeah. yeah. Now it's, it's interesting because I went the other way, right? Because I knew my tactics sucked. I basically just looked for closed positions. Right. So anytime I could close a position, have all the pawns just like intact mm. and I could just do maneuvers behind my pawns, I felt like I understood enough like long-term game theory, like strategy, mm. positioning your 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 rooks on, on files that are, are probably going to be broken, mm. um, you know, having having things pointed pointed at the opposing king, uh, making sure your king has a safe space to, to, to move to, uh, it, you know, like back stopping back ranks. Mm. There's all these maneuvers that I felt like, and like pawn structure, that's all like kind of this, it's like sort of a vague theory that you don't have to like systematically, mm. it's sort of just like understanding. And I felt like that was probably better than my level. Mm. So for any time I had a closed position, I'm like, all right, I'm good. Cause I can't really fuck it up because <laughs> there's mm. not really many like tactics to keep track of, you know, as soon as there was too many tactics opening up, that's when I'd lose my shit. Mm. But I think now I'm getting better at that. Um, but yeah, it's just sort of a fun thing that I just, every time I'm bored, I'll just open up the app, do the seven allowed. Now, have you tactics. seen this video? There's this cheater, this bot cheater who plays uh, against Magnus Carlsen. I think he's using one of the versions of Stockfish against okay. him. It was a, a three minute or a five minute game, I think. I haven't seen this. Um, and the Magnus is playing on... Um, is it chess 42 or chess? It's that chess website, which has got a number following. I can't remember the name of it. Um, he's playing on that website. Apparently he's like in collaboration with that website. Right. <clears throat> and he's playing on there and, um, this guy challenges him three minute game, accepts the game. He's playing against the bot. This guy's rated like 1800 or something. Mm. You know, Magnus is like the top player in the world. This guy gets into like a a very boring, evenish position against Magnus, which is like impossible for someone rated lower than Magnus. Um, so heavily suspecting him of cheating, uh, but never says anything throughout the game. Magnus gets into a winning position against this bot. Legitimately, he it's hilarious to watch as well. Did he did he, did mm. he play like was he aware that he's playing a bot? So he he, he specific because there's things you can yeah, do yeah. That kind of so, mess with it, right? I don't really when, know what they do, but when Magnus kind of got into a position where he was actually comfortable, the guy was actually running out of time. Mm. He was making very repetitive moves, like every five seconds or whatever, and that's kind of like an indicator that someone's using a computer because they look at the move, go back to the game, play the move, yeah, and then they play the opponent's move, look at the move, go back to the game, play it, and you have this very even kind of incrementation of all their moves. Whereas a normal human, they blitz out their opening, think for maybe you know, a few seconds for uh, most yeah. moves and then there'll be like a big time sync for like a mid, couple moves. Mid game and yeah, for yeah, mid yeah. game and like end game. There's always big time sync moves for most humans. Mm -hmm. Whereas most bots or people using computers will just 
very evenly play all of the moves and he's playing against this guy this guy gets like three seconds and still playing like you know every like four second kind of moves mm. and he's only got like a one second increment loses on time then after magnus beats this guy he just says one comment he says yeah that guy uh he played a lot stronger than his rating i'll tell you that <laughs> you know very right, right, subtly right. hinting that this guy was obviously cheating right 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 it's just insane how Magnus was just handing it the stockfish. It's interesting because like there, there's ways I've seen, uh, I don't know where I saw this, but there's ways that you can play to sort of mess up the the, the lines of, a, of like a computer that would, would sort of, you know, mm. um, I think I'm pretty sure we even went deep blue versus uh, Kasparov. Mm. I think he was trying to do certain things that weren't like normal human, like sort of strats. Like it would mm. probably be like, like a, uh, subpar against the human but against the bot it was like harder for them to calculate or something I don't, yeah i, don't I think know i know what, what you're talking yeah. about so when kasparov played deep blue the first game he tried to go for what you were talking about what you struggled against was a very open tactical game ah, right a lot of like tactics on the board and of course kasparov was known for his intimidation of opponents he would play these like sacrificial moves and then opponents would see ghosts on the board and kind of recede into themselves right, and right. lose but deep blue just calculated that it would be one move in tempo and it would win the game if it took the piece mm. and it did so and it won the game and everyone was shocked and then kasparov the next game just played a closed game and uh, dominated okay. because it played this game where it looked uh it wasn't able to see so far ahead to know that it was losing by playing these moves mm. and so that's how Kas kasparov beat it ah, okay so it's just so basically closed games maybe things that aren't highly theoretical mm. but that are, could still be quite good quite because obviously obviously yeah. if you're if you're using like uh probably now nowadays like all the the engines are probably using like some sort of ai learning well, sort of thing. yeah i was just about to mention that actually quite ironically the stockfish bot which was the strongest bot in the world <laughs> there was a uh, google's bot which they released oh, which really? was the uh the alpha zero mm. <clears throat> they actually used that bot to play the number one go player in the world as well yeah and um and they beat him as well recent, but like relatively I recently right? 2019 yeah, yeah yeah like not that long ago um and in, in that game as well actually the human player actually beat the ai bot which is supposedly in, in strong go? in go or, yeah, yeah, yeah beat it in one game the the move that that human played was according to the bot was like a one in ten thousand chance and the this human you know what he says he just says oh it's the only move i could see mm. you know it's not a someone that's strong it's like oh yeah just play it but to like everyone well, the, yeah the thing with go as far as i know like i tried to learn that a couple of times i i didn't get very far i don't know how to play like if, if someone goes let's play a game of go i don't mm -hmm. know how to play but I, I know like i've looked into it a little bit so i sort of understand the general idea it seems a lot more intuitive. Mm. There's not as much like like deep calculation. It's more like seeing general patterns and being like, "Ooh, I should strengthen the you know this side." It's it's almost like looking yeah. at a, a, like strategy in chess where you go, "Ooh, the king side is looking weak. I should develop towards the king side." Right. Like that's sort of like general. You know. Uh, there yeah. Seems to be much less like, of like I haven't played calculation. Go, but when I was watching the documentary, you know, just from listening to the commentators, you, you hear that it's a very territorial based game. And so a lot of the time players are playing to win territory. And of course, the player who has the most territory wins the game. But Alpha Zero was always, or Alpha Go um, playing in Go, was always focused on just having slightly more. And that's it. 
Because if you had slightly more, you'd win. Just a small increment. Just a small increment more than the other opponent, and they would win. Um, and that was how it would beat the majority <clears throat> of its opponents. Whereas most humans are greedy. Most are going for the most amount of territory to beat them by. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, in chess, the Alpha Zero played, I think, against itself four hours. And then they put it up against Stockfish and it annihilated Stockfish. Something something like 96 wins. Crazy. Four draws against Stockfish. Something absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, for, for Stockfish back then, it was an absolute powerhouse, you know, dominating absolutely everyone in the world. And then this AI comes along and, and trashes it. And then they made a new AI for people to play against, which was Leela Zero. I'm not sure if you've heard about Leela Zero, but that's a very popular one. And you can actually go online at any point in time, play against this thing, and it is so ridiculously hard to beat it. Even to draw isn't, against that. Isn't like modern day like uh, chess engines, aren't they rated like three three like thousand? Thirty eight hundred, yeah, yeah. Like a yeah. thousand rating higher than Magnus Carlsen. The the, the greatest chess player. Well, still still arguably of yeah. all time, but but definitely of our generation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. And a I mean chess.com ra- a thousand points is the difference between me and a grandmaster. Exactly. Like almost, almost, yeah. not quite, because I've never played. Like I'm not, I'm not fourteen hundred in re- in like tournament rating, and probably even more so because to win rating that high at up, at that high level, yeah, you're right, is yeah. even harder because if you lose one, you drop like a hundred. Yeah, the the degree of of separation between between the best eight, like the best uh, engine and the best player is probably I can't even re- imagine it. Some people question the ratings because they say, well, you know, against what? Because they only ever play against other bots. Ah, uh, yeah. But, you know, they've played against humans, you know, all the time. Chestercom bots are getting used or always getting tested against Grandmasters as humans but I, and beating I, them. What engine are Chestercom bots are running on? Chestercom uses Stockfish. I think it's a very popular one, but they also run Komodo, the Komodo dragon. And every so often you get other variants of bots but actually stockfish has now started incorporating ai into its um program so it has a learning aspect to it now whereas in the past it didn't and now supposedly it can beat alpha zero in games oh okay according to stockfish it's interesting like now we're now we're having the the ai war to see the ai war right you know but what what constitutes a better ai like what if it's just learning from things, isn't it just whoever has the most exposure, like exposure to data? You would wonder that, but it's it's more... Because when, when Alpha Zero first matched against Stockfish, Stockfish would see positions and it would call something an inaccuracy or a mistake or a blunder or something. And of course, when it does something like that or judges something as that, it's not going to play towards those moves which it believes are going to give it a worse position. Mm-hmm. And the reason why um, Alpha Zero was able to beat it, and there's this amazing game where it beats it, where it literally shoves um, Stockfish's queen into a corner and then blocks that queen with a rook. So the queen cannot escape. It's like um, it's in Black's corner, Uh. Black's queen. So the king's here, the queen's there, and then white placed a, a rook there and it's there's stopping the there, stopping, stopping the only escape that, that the queen could have and so black is basically playing without a queen mm. even though white has like sacrificed a bishop or a knight in order to get into that position so was it stockfish that didn't didn't recognize that as a like like even though it hadn't lost material 
even it's though it, yeah, it, it, it had gained material and it's like, right, all I need to do is win the game now. Right. But what I didn't realize is that by losing that material or by gaining that material, it got into this position where it was basically so passive that it just lost the game and it actually ended up sacrificing its queen at one point for the, one of the rooks, mm. white's rooks, and then it just ended up slowly losing the game. Um, one of the hardest things to do, I would say, is to beat a bot in an end game. Honestly, anyone try get into an equal position with a bot in an end game and try to outplay it. You will more than likely lose. End game is so it's so open. Like whenever I have a tactic that's an end game tactic, I'm like, I mean, I could move this this king here mm. or here or here, and it's like you're gonna tell me one of them's wrong, one of them's right. But I don't like it, I don't see it. You can't understand between which one's right and wrong. Like right? like obviously I, I can try to play it out, but mm. sometimes there's so many options that I'm like, well, or which one is it? Right. Yeah. 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 Whereas like it almost seems like there could be five different options that are equally good. Yeah. There's this common thing that I figured out. Um, I'm not sure if you've learned it. It's called the king and the square. Okay. Now, actually, Magnus never knew this when he was playing chess. Yeah, but he's a he's an AI bot. I know. No, no, no. Co coded by Zuck himself. This is the funniest thing, is that Magnus is explaining this tactic having never known about it himself. Right. And um, he was just doing it as part of like a chess course with um, um, his, his chess website. And they get him to explain the king in a square. And the, the idea is that if the king is in a square in line with a pawn, he will catch it before it promotes. If the, if the king is in a square in line. With so a pawn. If, if the king can make a square with the pawn, then he will catch it before it promotes. But if the king can't make a square with that pawn. What do you mean by make a square? Well, I think in terms of like... You know, if you have a, a square laid out yep. in terms of... Um, There's a chess board. Yeah, well, imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. imagine the king is over here yep. and the pawn is here. Right. So, the you know, you've got this, this square set up going. The king will catch it before it promotes. Oh, I see what you're saying. And yep. it's the same thing if you've got yep. like four. The yeah, king's yeah, here, yeah, pawn's yeah, here. Yeah. Okay. The king will catch it. So the diagonally it trying to advance. Yeah. It. yeah so okay. diagonally advancing towards it, you have this thing called the king in the square. Magnus never, ever knew this when he was playing chess. He said he always just used to calculate it. Mm. So this guy, he's honestly the speed chess champion of the world, the blitz champion of the world, champion of the world. Always would calculate. He had a draw with Kasparov when he was 12 years old. Exactly. And yeah. he, he would just calculate whether the pawn was going to promote or whether he would beat it every single time. Someone's like, bro, you know about the square? And he's like, what? <laughs> you what? <laughs> Straight up. You know, he's explaining this it's tactic. So I don't know. He's like I wonder, 32 I wonder, years old now. I wonder how much, how much processing power, like if we look at it like a, like a computer, right? Right. How much of like getting better at his level is just finding ways to offload the processing power? Mm. Like, you know, if, if you can, if you have to calculate a pawn moving from here to here, that's time being taken up calculating that when you could be calculating something else. Right. Versus just being like square, done, cool. Right. And it, like how much, mm. how much of at that level is just finding ways to be more efficient? Like, 
Like you do the same calculations, do the same thing, but just win out by three seconds compared to the competitor. You know what I mean? Good point. And Karu kind of touched on this at one point. He kind of talked about how there are like some very specific cheese tactics, which, you know, people high up will do where they will play moves quickly so they can think on your time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they use up your time to think and then because they've used your time to think, they kind of know already what you're going to play and then they'll mm. immediately play a move. Um, that works in certain positions. Certain position. Now, of course, Magnus actually recently, uh, the speed chess championship, he arrived, he was playing a three minute game. He arrived two and a half minutes late to his three minute game. So he had 30 seconds on the clock. <laughs> And he's playing against a very strong player. He's playing against, a, I think, a grandmaster or international master and a very high-rated player. And he arrives two and a half minutes International plays. master. Psh, Magnus is like, don't throw these scrubs at me. If, it, if, his, if his title doesn't start with a G, don't even call me. All right, sorry, carry on. <laughs> that's, that's how I imagine Magnus he, to be. He arrives and he says, sorry, I was stuck in traffic. You know, he greets the Bayern and... Says to him, um, you know, sorry, shakes his hand, shakes his hand before even playing his move. That's how much, you know. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah, BD energy this guy emanates. And he uh, he wins this game. I kid you not. He's playing a move per second, gaining increment. Towards the end of the game, he has more time than this guy. <laughs> This poor what's, what's sap the, what's the increment? who had three minutes. I think it's a second increment per uh, move. One second. One second oh increment Oh my per God. Move. And um, <clears throat> this guy goes into the think tank a few times. Um, and honestly, it just shows the class of Magnus because Magnus honestly was very low on time the whole game, under 30 seconds, most of the game. And he, he gains time in like the last 20 seconds of the game, I'd say. Jesus. I think the guy who he's playing against goes down to about seven seconds. Magnus has got 14 seconds still. He's just a monster, man. Like you, you can imagine that in uh, in like, is, is he playing physical or physical? That was over physical. the board as well. Jesus, yeah. Because that's the thing is like, maybe, maybe it's like more doable over the computer, over right? The computer, yeah, because you can pre-move. You got you got ways to make time, but just over the board too, man. That's brutal. ridiculous, right? Brutal. Because you have to wait to see the physical opponent's move, then move your arm. Ima ima and imagine that's your life, right? Imagine since you're fucking four years old. <sighs> You've been, you've been, you've been doing your chess tactics. Your mom and dad are like, like, like borderline abusive, just chess, you yeah. chess. And then you go to a, your, the top chess school in Azerbaijan or whatever the hell, right? Where like chess is life and like mm. yeah, freaking it's the only thing that exists and you don't have a girlfriend. You, you don't talk to girls. You, you, you don't even know they exist. You're just like C4 in the night to three, right? You just all day, every day, it's all you do. And then you rock up and some, some piece of shit ass guy that's got like a modeling contract. He's not even a real chess Arrives guy. two and a half minutes late. Two and late a half minutes late, 30 game. seconds on the clock and still whoops your ass. You're like, God Complete damn Complete disrespect. It. God damn it. You just feel so trash about your life at that point. Like it's it's not like, obviously if, if we played, we'd be, we'd be like, yeah. oh yeah, great. But it's like, if you know, if that's your literal life, you're like, I want to, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm in this tournament, let's go. I'm sure that guy was questioning his career after that game. <sighs> yeah. 
there's just, I think like, it's, it's so much more obvious when you look at it in chess, like, you know, people talk about talent mm. and when, when you're, when you're a high level in anything, like I, I follow MMA, so I, I, I watch these mm. like, you know, high level athletes and it's like the, everyone has every high level guy has this belief that they're not like, well, depends on the guy, but most guys will have this belief that they're not special. Mm. Like, because you need to put in so much work to get to where you are that it's like, like I was nobody when I didn't, before I did this work mm. and now I'm somebody. So, you know, it, from my perspective, anyone could do it sort of mm. thing, right? Like a lot of these guys have this idea that it's like hard work, fuck talent. Cause at the same time you see, I'm sure every high level athlete has had some guy come through the gym that was just a talent, like, mm. like un unbelievable. Like within a year or well, within six months, he's beating up half the gym and you're like, holy shit. I can't, like, I wasn't this good when I started or yeah. whatever. And then, but they, those guys never stick around. It's very rare to see those mm. guys stick around. So everyone has this idea that there's be, there's more talented people out there. Um, but you know, it's whoever's keeps going, right? The longest. True, um, true. And sorry, just no, touching on that yeah. point, Bear Grylls, a lot of people know, he was not the best in his course. Mm. He only really made it because all the other guys just quit. Yeah. And I think when he was becoming one of those like secret service Marines, he only made it through because everyone else dropped out. Yeah. And that was it. Yep. Like he just kept progressing in the army, kept going through these courses and he just never gave up. And that's what everyone else did. Bro. There's so many examples, like just since training and stuff, like <clears throat> guys come through, man, like, you know, Tongan dude seems fucking seems like, you know, like he could move, but you, you think, ah, oh, you know, just another guy, maybe he played some rugby or something. And, uh, this guy just whoops everyone like six months in, he's taking down black belts and stuff. You're just like, holy crap. Right. Mm. And then after that, you don't see him again. Like, yeah, you just wow, never, and like you up. see Instagram photos, they're just out drinking shisha, all the stuff. It's like, bro, where, where are you train? You know? They don't see them. And then mm. me who got whooped for two years straight yeah. by everyone. I was like some 17 year old scrawny kid that everyone was just like, you know, manhandling. Mm. Like I stuck to it. And now I'm like, you know, better than these guys that are supposedly talented, you know? Mm. Um, but anyway, point is every high level athlete has this mentality, but you know that the guys at the very top, the UFC champions, those guys are freak athletes. Those mm. guys like, you know, like they're like, you know, Francis and Ganu. I mean, you cannot find another guy like that. Like, try to find another guy that's like as big, as moves as fast, learns as quick, like all the different attributes, right? <clears throat> but but it's harder to, like, you sort of assume that because it's fighting and it's physical and it's like, mm. you know? But in chess, it's like, there's no other variable. Mm. It's just whoever's smarter, whoever's more genius, whoever can calculate more, whoever can learn more. There's no other variable. And to see a guy like Magnus that just comes in and just dominates like the highest ranked player of all time. I mean, you could argue about, you, you can argue about ELO inflation, but let's mm. not get into that. Like, you know, he is like. You know what he actually asked recently? He asked for other chess players to gain more ranking so he could get higher. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys hurry up and get some uh, ELO, please? He had a goal of reaching 2,900. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And he decided to forfeit his World Cup title just to achieve that goal. Yeah. And of course, in order for people to get higher in rating, 
they have to win championships. And of course, one of the big championships that they can win is the World Chess Championship. Mm. So whoever wins the World Chess Championship now is going <clears> to... <throat> It's going to gain a lot of elo. Yeah. And of course, Magnus is banking on this so that when he plays them, is that why he, did, he, he can get that he pulled elo. out of the, he doesn't. He I'm like almost certain that's one of the title. reasons why he's relinquished his I thought it, I thought he was just too stressful for no reason. Like he's sort of done everything he needs to do. The only other goal he's really yeah, excited about he, is getting that elo, right? He really said that it took up a lot of his time and he, he wanted to put more time into more of his other goals. Also, also I'm yeah. sure he makes way more money from mm. all the other apps he's doing and, and the streaming. Yeah, most People definitely. Don't talk about that, but like that's probably the biggest income stream. I think, and he's so good when he streams as well. Like everyone wants to watch him. Like yeah. who wouldn't? Yeah. World number one. Yeah. Um, and of course, I think there was this one time he um he was streaming and he he played against this guy who absolutely handed it to him. He um he played the Sicilian, uh, got onto this um. You know, he castled Queenside. That's like one of the main lines. And then the guy, I think, sacrificed a rook down um, one of the wings. Ballsy against Magnus. Yeah, or something like that. Was sacrificed a, a rook or sacrificed a knight. And then he got like a, a pawn set up where Magnus was trying to escape with his king, like trying to run away with his king. Guy wasn't having it. Sacks his queen to checkmate Magnus. Jeez. And Magnus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wasn't expecting that right. and just resigns. <laughs> yeah, imagine winning a game against Magnus by sacking stuff like mm. Tal style. That'd be, that. that's all I would ever want from life, to be honest. Just have a game against Magnus and just. I mean, yeah. when you and I, when we were young, we were absolutely nerding out the fact that he was playing like 10 games of chess blindfolded. Yeah. Now it's like a lot of people can do that. Mm. I mean, I couldn't, but yeah, there's a lot of people. I can't even like flip and do half my stuff, which I could normally do blindfolded. Yeah. I can't even play a single game of chess blindfolded. I could, I could maybe play half a game, like just like a few moves past the opening. I think I could I could keep mm. it in my head. But once it gets to like real mid game, I'm screwed. But they've got brilliant memories, man. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they yeah. do. I think it's like a lot of pattern recognition as well. Um, let's take a toilet break and we'll be back. Mm. And we're back. Right. What do you got to show me, mate? Okay. So first I want to go through a couple of these. These are nice. These are nice. And of course they're quite interactive as well. I'll just read out this. So we'll go through the three and uh, we'll see if the great Fettuccini can, uh, can solve these. Huh? I reckon I can't, but we'll see. Okay. So this first one's named barrel of beer. Now you have this, this barrel and um, you you need to know whether the barrel is more than half full or less than half full based on the liquid that's inside of it. Now, of course, you don't have any measuring equipment. So is there a way that you can tell that it's more than half full or less than half full without using any additional equipment? Just by using the liquid and the barrel in your eyes, of course. More than half full or less than half full? Um, I mean, first of all, I try to tap it, see what kind of <laughs> noise it makes. It's like when it's like when uh, buying a Romanian watermelon at the market. You give it a good slap on well, the bottom. First bomb. of all, you get that you get that triangle. They cut a triangle into it. Ah, uh, yeah. They give you a taste, and you taste it. You're like, all right. You pick one up, and you go. Like <laughs> if it cracks, you're like, oh, it's ripe. 
Yeah. And you give it some slaps to see how full it is. And then you make a decision. Yeah. <clears throat> and then you still ask yourself, is this a free choice or are we living in a simulation? But to answer your question, how about trying to push the barrel over to see how it uh, reacts, how the fluid dynamics. If, if not a, not a actually, a, you're pretty close there, I would actually say. Pretty, pretty close. What you actually do is, um, you can even do it with little cans like this as well. If you can tilt it and you can actually see the bottom when you tilt it onto its corner, mm. you know it's less than half full. If you can't see the bottom of the barrel when you've tilted it onto its corner, you know it's more than half full and it's the way you tell. So you're saying, you're saying depending on how, how far you can tip it before it falls? No, it's more like, let's say, uh, you know, I've got my nice little barrel here and mm. I tip it here and you can see there's a liquid on the bottom there. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the way barrels are designed, if you tilt it onto its corner like this and you hold it, if you can see the bottom from when you're tilting it, the liquid's not covering the bottom, then you know that it's less than half full because you can actually see to the bottom of the barrel. Oh, so you're, the so way you're, that you're, the, are you looking through the barrel? Yeah, yeah, you can see into the barrel. Ah, okay. Right. So I was, Sorry, I was imagining I a I wooden barrel. Yeah, yeah, properly. yeah. Okay. Right. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So when you're looking to the barrel, you can actually see the bottom. Okay. This next one is called um, three light bulbs. This one's quite a nice one. So you've got three switches on a wall outside a windowless room. So you've got three switches. Okay, so let's... Like a, like a light switch. Yeah, so let's imagine you've got, you've got three switches here. I don't know. Okay. You know. And... Um, for each switch that you have, they're connected to a bulb inside this room. So how can you work out that which switch is connected to which um, if you are only allowed to enter the room once? So which switch is connected to which bulb? There's three you can bulbs only inside. enter the room once, yes. Mm. And it's a windowless room. You can't see into the room. Mm -hmm. Only enter it once. So this is like a pure logic one, right? It's also a, a think outside ah, the box okay. kind of thing. Hmm. Now, of course, I don't know for anyone listening as well. Try to think outside the box in terms of this. Think about how, and then this is a little hint for you thing. Right, think about before, how. Before you say anything, I, oh, yeah. what I was just thinking about is figuring out if unscrewing the light bulbs would actually help me or do anything. But it seems like it would not really give me any information. So No, no. Unscrewing the light bulbs would do nothing for you. Yep. Um, but I will say, try to think about the forms of energy that a light bulb can produce. And that might help you. Ah. So you could, you could potentially turn two on for a while, then turn one off, and then go in, see which one's on, see which one's hot. Yeah, one's you got hot. it now. Ah, I see, gotcha. You got it. That's it. You just turn one on for a while, I don't know, 10 minutes or whatever, how long it takes to heat up, because they're always going to emit some small amount of Unless heat energy. Unless you're using one of these LED ones. Well, that's the difficulty. If you're using an LED, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. In which case, you made it. You, you gotta. You just gotta fucking break down the door the second exactly, time. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So this last one is called the Good Samaritan. You might have heard this one before. It's actually a little bit of a popular one. 
So they're saying here that the Pareto principle is an idea that in many systems there is an inequality between causes and effects. In this puzzle, one choice you make is vital while the others only offer small returns. You are dividing, sorry, you are driving down the road in your car on a wild stormy night when you pass by a bus stop and you see three people waiting for the bus. So number one is an old lady who looks like she's about to die. Number two is an old friend who once saved your life. Mm -hmm. And um, number three is your perfect partner of your dreams. So it says here, you can only fit one passenger in your car. It says, what should you choose to do? Um, clearly, the old lady with us about a dime. Just take her. Everyone else. All right. Uh, okay. And again, feel free to. So, so what am I trying to do? I'm trying to take one into the car to what? What's the what's the aim? So you're trying to get the greatest return possible in this situation, and well, but why am I? Am I? You're driving down a road on the stormy night, and yeah. you can only fit one person in your car, and you see three people oh, see. at this bus stop. You see an old lady who looks like she's going to die. You see this old friend who saved your life, and you see. Um, this perfect partner of your dreams. Gotcha. And there's only one seat in the car, you said. Exactly. Only one seat in your car. Whack-ass car, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, I got a boot. So, is that allowed? Well, I'll let you think outside the box there. All right, all right. So, so who are you so putting in the boot? No, no, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> You're shoving I, some old lady in the boot. Uh, no, no, no. I tell you what. Get in. <laughs> in the boot, I have an anvil. Right. All right. I tie a chain around the anvil and tie the old woman to the chain and just. <laughs> okay, you have no. this cannon in your car. You tie the old lady to this cannon and you shoot her all the way <laughs> into the hospital. Yeah. Like a, like a, like a, one of those. She acrobats. splatters on the hospital door. Problem solved. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, so there's a boot, clearly. So now we have two seats. Okay. Okay. All right. right. How do I create a third seat? I could. I could. I could. Uh, I could look out into. You know what? You know the. Okay. Mex but wait, wait. Question, you know. You know the Who are you putting in this boot? Let me. Let me. Let me talk through this. Right. Right. So, okay. You know those. You know those Mexicans that uh, cross the border. With right. drugs like yeah. stuffed in their you know, car, like the cartels. I yeah, can like yeah. I can look up those mods, those modifications they make to their car to fit all the cocaine and all the oh, yeah. heroin and and well actually it's probably not heroin, probably uh what's the other one? How are you going to make those modifications in time though? That's true. It would take some time, huh? On this stormy night. All right. How about this? The old lady and my friend. Right? Right. Can share a seat. Right. He can crush the lady. She can <laughs> he can sit on her. She's dead. <laughs> she dies. And then the love of my life, boot. <laughs> hey honey. Hop in. <laughs> in fact, I'll even walk around the car and open it for her. You know? Yeah, no, no. Um I don't I mean there's only all, two seats. It's all lit up in the back. You've got your LED strips in your boot. There's two seats. There's two people I know there. Yeah. So I'm gonna take those two people. The old lady's a stranger. Right. She can chill. 
Right. I mean, unless she's actively like stabbed or, you know, I'm sure she's got a way of getting like she can call an Uber or right. something. So I think she'll be fine unless she's literally on her deathbed, mm. in which case she's. Okay. So your choice is, is what? So you, you, you're disregarding right, I the may, old lady. My mate can go in the boot because Ivan, Ivan's got a, you know, he's a small dude. Okay. He can fit in the boot. And right, then, right. Yeah. Then, then Amy can chill in the, in the Okay. The okay. There we go. So, that's, that's okay. So Amy's chilling in the side seat. You got your best friend in the boot and the old lady, she can kick the can. Well, she's, I mean, is she literally like, like bleeding? Well, it says here she's about to die. Okay. So she's bleeding. Okay. Well then, then I'll tell you what, mate, old friend, just wait there for a sec. I'll, I'll go to the hospital. I'll pick you back up later. Okay. Yeah. That's sort of the, um, what I'm thinking. But okay. What's the. Now, this is the most interesting thing. And this is what most people I would say would go for as well is they never think of the possibility of getting out the car themselves. Most people always stay in the car. But if you hand your car to your best friend who saved your life mm. to take this lady to the hospital, then you can stay at the bus stop with the girl of your dreams. But that's assuming... Oh, I see what you're saying. Now you're, see, you're talking like a true Giga Chad, right? Yes. Now. So that's the Giga Chad move uh, that see. wins every situation. Mm. So in your situation, you got a good two out of three. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. then the old lady had to kick a can. Whereas well, sometimes you got to make sacrifices, you know, <laughs> you know, she lived the a good great, life. It's the greater good. You know, you know, she was old, bro. It's the, it's the greater good. You know, yeah. what are we going to, you know? Yeah, no, but, but here's the problem with that, with that. Uh, okay. Answer. Okay. Explain, I'll, give, I'll give you the problem to that answer. You're assuming I trust Ivan with my car. <laughs> that's what, that's the first assumption I mean, you make. He did save your life. So you, you can. Yeah, but that doesn't More mean he can drive assume. for shit. He, he <laughs> saved me from drowning. Doesn't mean he can. Doesn't he mean can. he's on my insurance policy. <laughs> yeah. He crashes my car. Doesn't mean I'm he, liable. Doesn't mean he indicates before taking a left turn. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm liable for several million dollars if he crashes my car. Crashes into a Bugatti. A Bugatti. A Bugatti. Um. No, that's a yeah. Okay, fair. I I'll tell you what. <clears throat> some of these ones. Some of these uh, like lateral thinking problems can be a bit a bit stupid, mm. right? They can be a bit like, what, what am I thinking? Like, mm. oh, you know, uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, both Romeo <laughs> ran out the the window while Juliet was dying. What happened? Uh, oh, turns turns right. out Romeo was a cat and Juliet was a fish. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's just some dumb thing like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But th these actually have some sort of substance to them, so I like that. Mm. That's good. What book is that from? This is actually this brain-boosting book. I'm not sure if you can see the title at all, but... You're it, trying to keep your brain young? Bro, you're 20, what, 25? Bro, it's how you uh, prevent dementia. Tell it's, you. it's called chess.com. It's just <laughs> tactics. Um, they actually have some some pretty good stuff, and they explain lots of ways that you can. I will say improve your kind of mental capacity mm. to learn, and also improve your productivity to learn all that kind of stuff. Have you been doing those for a while? Do you do you find any improvement? I would say it's helped me to think outside the box a lot. You kind of only begin to think outside the box when you're presented in a situation to you know, put you outside the box. Um, there is actually a, um, 
I guess, a situation where that was um, put together. Okay, so let's say we've got um, these guys here. Let's get little different people. Okay. So let's say there's this bridge that we need to cross. Oh, it's the... I'm sure you've heard this one Is this before. the one with the the chicken and the wolf or something? S not the chicken and the wolf, actually, okay. but that is a very similar very similar problem. And so we've got all these people on one side. Let's say there's some kind of zombie apocalypse. Mm. And we've got all these guys on, on each side. And um, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll put them in ascending order. So this is the fastest man. He, he can travel across the bridge and back in a minute. This... Um, Maybe I'll trade him for a two. That'll that'll make more sense. So he goes in one minute. He goes in two. I'll trade this one for a five, and I'll trade this one for a ten. That okay. way, it makes it a lot easier to, yep. I guess, keep track of their their timings. So each of them takes different times to get across this bridge, and they only have one light source, mm. and they all have to get across this bridge, and they always have to accompany one another across the bridge and they always have to bring the light source with them. Um, and they need to get across as fast as possible, otherwise these zombies are going to catch them. That's the, that's the kind of premise. Right. <clears throat> the, the idea is that how can you get them across as fast as possible without, or what is the fastest possible time that you can possibly get them across? And a lot of the people, they don't think about this problem the correct way, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you have a little think and uh, so can, can, go about can this. Can they all use the bridge at the same time? So only two people at a time can use the bridge at one time. So for example, if I was to go across with two and five, yeah, 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 then and they would both, would and then one of them would have to come back with the light mm -hmm. source. Normally, you'd want the faster one coming back, right? And then that's their time. So you've taken so, five so, minutes there. So obviously, obviously, they match the pace of the okay. slower. Obviously, the uh, the ace would have to be the accompanier for everyone. Okay. Okay. Otherwise you're losing time on the way back. Yep. So then you just add up everything. So the 10 goes, that's 10 minutes, one minute back, 11. Five okay. goes, five minutes, one minute back. That's 17. 17. Two minutes, one, oh, that's it. Two yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then 19. You, you've got 19. Mm. Okay, so most people normally arrive at around that number. Okay. And what most people miss is that you can actually send the two fastest people first. Wait a minute. What if you don't... Do you have to come back? What if you just you send two to, and then... You two? would need the light source. Oh, the light source. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's the key in this, in yeah, this puzzle. Yeah. You always need your light source to come with you. And okay, so in this situation, we get these two guys, our fastest people, yep. and they cross first. Okay. So they come here and then one comes back. Yep. Right? So we've just spent three minutes there. Two. Uh, two so and two one there back. and yeah, then one, one back, back. so yep. three. Which I did that, but the other way, right? Which yep. is the same. Yeah. Then we send these two guys together. Okay. Right? With the light source. Okay. And That's send 10 two minutes. Back. Oh, yeah. And then we send the two back. Uh, so in total right now, we've only spent uh, three minutes plus 10, 13 minutes. Mm. That's 15. Yeah. 17. So you're still... Two minutes, two minutes faster. You, you got 19. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see. So it's slightly quicker. Mm -hmm. 
Most people arrive at 19. So don't count yourself out. Nice, yeah. So you know what I, you know, when I, I, I recently did a puzzle like the, you know, the, the wolf one with the chicken mm. and the, the, this one eats that one. And yes, yes. Did, you know where I did that puzzle recently? Where? RuneScape, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a quest, there's a quest where you have to do That's that. That's a good one. Yeah. I started playing OSRS again. That is a game. Yeah. And they've actually made it on mobile as well. Yeah, that's where I've been playing it. So for anyone who wants to jam OSRS again, it is a mobile app and you can play it anywhere you want. And I've been grinding some Slayer, baby. Anyways. It is, that is a good skill. That is one of my favorite skills, that skill. Yeah, well, it just, it, it comes in right at the time when, when combat is boring. And then, yeah. And then you have another thing to live. Then you up. got something to do yeah, when you're doing good. the combat, yeah. right? And it gets you to like explore different areas. Mm, That's what I liked about it. See, yeah. 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 But anyway, enough of nerd shit. Okay. That was a cool one. Mm. Yeah. So, so you reckon you've actually seen some, I've always thought like you were always into this sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. I remember you playing a game on 3DS or something. Or maybe some yeah, 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 that was like just riddles, mm. and I was like, "Bro, like, yeah. why? Why are you doing this?" That like, was gotta, actually a really fun out. one. Yeah, I'm gonna figure out this, and I'm like, "I don't, I don't know how you care enough to like to sit there and <laughs> agonize over the answer for hours." Like for me, if it takes me any longer than like thirty seconds to figure yeah. it out, I'm just like, such a cannot be bothered. Yeah, cannot be bothered. Like for me. It's interesting. I was thinking about this. Like you, what we both, I think, enjoy about chess, about magic at the time we did it, there's some element of problem solving and everything. Mm. But for some reason, there's some problems, some styles of problem solving that don't buzz me, mm. you know? So like with magic, it's like the problem is a problem you set yourself and the solution is a solution you set yourself. Yeah. Like- I might have a problem and I'll show you after this. Like I, I might come up. Uh, yeah. Afterwards we'll talk of some methods, but like, okay, I need a deck switch. Okay. Okay. How do I do it? And then I look at the, the structure of the, of the trick that I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I'm like, where could I insert a deck switch? And then I try this and I'm like, not happy with that. Like mm. maybe someone else would be happy with that. I'm like, nah, that's tr a trash. I tried that version. It's like, mm -hmm. boom. It sits. I, I, I don't try any other thing for it. It sits there for a week. Uh, it's just regurgitating in my head. Right, right, but, right. But like I hold the key. Like I'm I'm the one that sets the, it's like says, yes, it's okay or not, you know? And then I finally come up with something that I'm like, first of all, I feel good about. Two, it works. Yeah. And three, when I did it, no one saw it. It was great. So I'm like, holy crap. I just came up with the craziest dick switch of all time. That feeling to me is what's fun. It's, it's good, like yeah. that, that search for this hidden it's almost like this nebulous like idea, and then it, you see. You're it looking form. for that like unique novel. Yeah, but you see, you almost like it's almost like outside of your control. Like it mm. almost like forms on its own, and you almost have to like you have to put in the work, otherwise it doesn't do anything. But but when you do, it almost feels like it takes its own. Like mm. when when the idea comes, it's almost like uh, that idea of the muse, you know, where you, where you, don't, right. you don't know what where that came from. It almost feels like a different, like a thought has just been. It's almost like an entity, like it's just mm. was born. It wasn't there one moment and it was there the next. Like that to me is fascinating. That to me is interesting. It's it's like kind of like, I, you know, those moments are like drugs, you know? Yeah, no, nah, straight up. But then like when when some when there's an answer and I'm just trying to find the answer and I tried this option and I tried that option and I'm, and I'm like, man, I just want to make my own answer. Yeah. Like, you know, like there's, there's this feeling of like frustration that I can't get it. And uh, to you, you, you never bothered by that. It seemed like you just embraced that. Well, Not I think that that's probably one of the reasons why I kind of got into engineering really is because 
I loved problem solving. And of course, a lot of engineering is solving problems and trying to figure out solutions to things. And I think in ways, creating order out of things which, you know, are mostly in disorder is quite satisfying. And in cards and, you know, you're manipulating the ways in which people will, you know, view the pack or view the cards as a magician's, you know, pure goal of course you know you're always trying to misdirect the audience or trying to force them into some kind of view of something or situation of something or thought um which actually leads me onto this trick which i always like performing and of course i'm not sure what the um angles will be like here but um in terms of the trick itself i always loved performing it um for parties or whatever it was and um it would always be my favorite i'd always be my favorite and just let me know which camera i need to so that's the camera that will most likely be on you okay your hands will be good if you're like somewhere around that bait the bumper okay so okay. it should be fine yeah okay so in this trick you know i always get the audience to um and i always start small i i always do the trick first and then of course you know the next time you do this trick they're always like oh. right right okay so then for this trick here i just need you well i'm gonna riffle down the side of the pack like this and what i need you to do is to tell me when you want me to stop okay, okay so tell me when you want me to stop stop okay so we stop there yeah. and then i look away and yeah. then i hold it up to the camera and my my eyes are closed and mm -hmm. then i put it back down nice and then i put the pack here and then you know that's the first time i do the trick and then i look at you and i say now you've got a well, I normally look at people in the room and I say, who's got the best memory here? Mm. And this is part of this pattern, which I, I love to incorporate into this. And I say, I need the person with the best memory. Right. Because when I look into their eyes, I can still see it there. And I just stare at them and uh, I say here, to them. Here's how I know it's patter, because my memory sucks. <laughs> All right. I look at them and I yeah. say, mm, I definitely see a red card. And that card was definitely the eight of diamonds yeah and of course they look at me and they're like oh no right right and then they're like oh let me shuffle let me shuffle so i give them the pack and then i say to them okay give give the pack a shuffle do what you feel like doing um and then after they they hand me back the pack i'll i'll say to them okay i'll do this trick for you um again all right so one more time i'll do this trick for you and you just you know, let me know. Okay, so I've got my my cards here and I just need to tell you. Okay, so once again, we'll run through the rules for you. I just riffle down the side of the back like this and you just tell me when to stop. Okay, just tell me. Stop. Just here? Yep. Okay. So there we go there. Yep. Okay. And I just put it back on top like this. My eyes are closed. And I put the pack there. I don't touch the pack. Okay. And then I start increasing this again and I say, I need... I look at someone again and I look at you and I say, hmm, you've chosen a black card this time. And you've chosen a double digit black card. Hmm, must be a 10 of spades. And they look at me and they say, what's going on? How, how, are, you, how are you doing this? And then, of course, it gets to some point where I get them to shuffle and I say that I'm okay. You know, you can shuffle, you can shuffle, you can do whatever you like. And um, what I'm going to get you to do is um, I'll get someone to, to come and blindfold me. Mm 
So then I, I take the pack back from them and I say, okay, now come and blindfold me. And of course, I'm not sure if you have a blindfold hand, but I'll just imagine a blindfold on top of me and my eyes are closed here and I'll, and I'll say, all right, let me do this trick one more time for you guys. So my eyes are tightly closed and I'm clenching my eyes and I run through the rules from the again. I say, I'm going to run through my hands like this. You just tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay, so then you stop there. Yep. You look at the card. I put it back down. And my eyes have been closed the whole time and I put the back pack away from me. And then I open my eyes. Or I'm still blindfolded, actually. Mm. You know, whichever one they want. And I just say, give me someone's hand. And then mm. you give me your hand. And, and I say, oh, let me just do a little quick palm read here. Um, yeah, I'm so feeling Richard, a black, Richard, I'm feeling Richard a black card. Feeling nice. a black card there. Mm, definitely the four of clubs. Nice. And of course, the more times you perform this trick, the increasingly more fooled right, right, right. they become. And this is why this is my favorite trick. Yeah. And of course, it's honestly the simplest yeah. trick you can really ever perform, but my favorite. I've yeah. performed it at every single party I've gone to. I've performed it to people I know. I've performed it to my family. I've performed it to friends. performed it to my wife. Absolutely everyone gets fooled by it and they always want to know how I do it. And I, I will never reveal this one. Yeah, yeah that's good. <laughs> I will never, ever, ever reveal this one because this is my favorite one. Yeah, that's, a th that's the thing, right? It's that it's that um, that presentation that dresses up the method, right? Mm -hmm. Like it always comes down to that. It's like, how do you, like the, the ramping it up is good, you know, like what I what I often do in a similar setting, I'll, I'll, um, I'll put the pack away or whatever and I'll, 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 I'll say like, I want you with your eyes, follow my finger. Mm. Ace, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm. Jack, queen, king. Wait, seven, six, no, seven, eight, nine, ten. Seven, eight, nine. No, mm. it was a nine. Nine of heart. No, it's nine of diamonds, right? Right. So I'll, I'll try to arrive wow. at it different ways. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's what I like to do. That's sometimes. a nice little mentalism trick there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's something, something I do. Um, what else do I do? I do one where similar idea where I, especially if I need to look at the deck, mm. I'll do uh, so. Let's say I had this like this, and mm -hmm. I go grab my hand. Yeah, so grab my yep. wrist or my hand. Yeah, boom, and then like you'd lean over. Oh yeah, and I, and I would like go across like this and stop at their card. Oh. That's another one. Wow, um, that's or, good. Or what you can also do is this is a, this is a bit of a comedy one. Okay. You can be like, okay, so I'm going to deal cards until I'm going to stop. I'm going to, yeah, so I'm going to deal cards until I find your card, right? Right. So I start dealing like this, right? And let's say, let's assume that your card was the nine of spades. Okay. Okay. So I'm just going to deal cards until I find your card. The next card I turn over will be your card. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic yeah, 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 one. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that's a funny one. Yeah. That was a Theory 11 trick. Oh, really? Really? I remember. Okay. I yeah. remember doing I, that trick. I will say that that one, that one I don't do as much. I think the other ones are stronger, mm. like the other presentations, but that one's funny. That one's like, very funny. You know, like- I it's, remember, it's, yeah. it, it will hit you a, d a different way, yeah. But that's yeah. a very nice trick, that one. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think- Speaking in terms of um, upskilling, and we were talking before about talent, it's definitely difficult to sometimes compare yourself to 
others others in terms of um you know your progression and things and i think social media also adds a layer of difficulty in that and comparison all that kind of stuff i mean myself i was um for a while i was quite into table tennis i was training and i was actually i was doing three trainings a week actually and i was trying as hard as possible to get into you know tournaments and like top 100 and all this kind of stuff that was my goal like top 100 I'll definitely make top 100 if I train three times a week and all that kind of stuff. I was spending like $50 a week on trainings and all this kind of thing. Um, I was only earning like $60 a week. So, (laughs) (laughs) so back then that was a lot for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Poor student life. Anyways, um, it got to this point where I honestly felt like I was trying so hard and I was getting nothing out of it. I felt like I was entering tournaments and I was getting thrown out first round like it was child's play for people I was playing against and there was nothing I could do. Um, and it was at that point where I kind of realized that that level of, I guess some people have just practiced for longer or some people have had more experience. Some people have more talent. You know, you're talking about some people upskilling quickly and then mm-hmm. leaving. Um, and so I just decided to kind of ease off and play more in terms of like fun, but mm then I kind of like see you in terms of like your magic, you know, and I think to myself, you know, we used to just do this in you know, in English. It was just a nice sort of fun hobby. We used to kind of just like chill and kind of like sit in Miss Neum's class and just do springs the whole time. Legitimately, I don't know how many people got annoyed at us. <laughs> All they would hear is... Yeah. Every, I don't, I don't every know how seconds. she didn't get annoyed about it, but yeah. Yeah, was, honestly, it was, it was the best. It was the best <laughs> class I've ever had, ever. And... We would on go with our magic. And I remember um, we actually got quite into it in year 10. I don't know what year was that, 2012? We we got quite into right, that, that year yeah. with IBM and we were going to all those conferences. And I think you, you at one point to went to um, a lecture in Christchurch or some kind of conference. No, Wellington, but that was, Wellington. Already, that was already like late. That was like... 2019 was it yeah 2019 that was that was way further after that yeah okay but we we went to a bunch of lectures and stuff yeah and then i i just remember you'd um and i'll never forget that one magician do you remember him as well was it stefano Stefan, the remain, Stefan, yeah, 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 the the hypnotist. Ah, oh, yeah. Stefan, the hypnotist. But I met him the other day. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. I still see him around. Like I went to a couple club meetings. He's still. That there. was the funniest magician I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he used to wear. I kid you not. He used to wear a suit, the most pristine suit you've ever seen. And then he'd wear these crummy (laughs) sneakers and ruin the look of the entire suit. (laughs) I don't know why he ever decided to do it. Anyways. Last time I saw him dressed up, he wasn't wearing the sneakers. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about upskilling, you know? He probably he it he's took been him. Absolute, you know he he's a legit so long. He's a to he's a that. hypnotherapist now. Like he does like therapy for like anti smoking. Oh wow! Stuff. Yeah yeah yeah. I, I'm I've seen like f- photos. He's got like a like a what else it called like an office and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Okay, now <clears throat> we were into it for a long time, and yeah. I remember in school, uh, I think it was around the second to last year of college. We both said to each other, oh, we'd, you know, still keep it as like a side hobby. But you were trying to focus on getting into med school at that point. Yeah, yeah. And you put 
every amount of effort to try and get in and it just didn't happen. Well, I, I got into HealthSci and then when I got into HealthSci, and then, then I something, spiraled, yeah. like I had like depression, spiral, anxiety. Uh, Basically everything, everything hit the fan everything at the hit, same yeah, time. Yeah, it was whack. And you dropped out of whack and all of a sudden you were in probably the lowest of the low. And that is the best place to be because there's no lower that you can drop. Once you reach that point, you actually begin to realize that you can come back stronger than what you were before. And I reached that point in one of my years of engineering. I failed actually my second semester in my second year. And when I failed that year, well, failed that semester, I kind of um, thought to myself, oh, you know, maybe engineering is not for me. Maybe it's too hard. And I worked in labor for a little while, you know, like labor hire was the crappiest job I've ever worked in my life. Yeah. You're sweeping like sawdust and like paint dust and like whatever kind of forms of dust they can possibly get you to sweep. You're lifting the heaviest crap you've ever lifted in your life. They don't even remember your name. They're just like, hey, you go and like lift that up for me or go and hold that for me or something. And then after you work that, you earn peanuts as well. Yeah. And I was working in this and I was thinking to myself, man, this is some people's living. This is like, and this isn't to like hate on anyone here. This is just to say that this was hard work and this is what some people do to survive. Yeah. And I said to myself at this moment, this is not going to be me. Right. I cannot survive like this. I'm going to die. Yeah. I am a simple white kid. <laughs> I'm not going to survive like this. So I went back to university with a very motivated mentality <laughs> after having worked on this. Um, and quite ironically, in that semester when I had failed, um, I'd worked in labor for three months at that point. And that was the worst three months ever. And then I got an intern engineering job at Chelsea Sugar that summer. And um, that was actually a quite nice change. And I was wearing like collared shirts and long pants and smart shoes and office work and quite different. And having those two jobs mm. right next to each other and seeing the difference between them and seeing my enjoyment between the two was like night and day. And then it was in that moment where I was like, you know what? You're just going to have to work twice as hard. You're just going to have to figure out a way in order to do it. Every single paper which I had done the worst in, I went back to uni and I pestered my lecturers every single day for help or some kind of guidance or something. My coding lecturer, and my coding paper was my worst. I did C coding and C++. And this type of coding, I did abysmally the first time around. And the second time around, when I went back to uni, I was like, it's not going to happen this time. I literally camped inside my lecturer's office it was actually like so bad that other people tried to book slots to go see him and he he's like oh no kyle's booked that slot <laughs> so these other dudes like trying to get help and i'm just booked up all the slots that was the first a plus i've ever gotten in uni where i actually said to myself it's not going to happen and i did everything possible to turn that around and like likewise with yourself you know you had a poor you know, moment in life where everything hit you all at once. And then all of a sudden you turn that around into a business, mm. into something sustainable where you're making a living. You're, you know, on YouTube, you're making podcasts, you've got a nice setup and table, you've got um, 
literally a whole industry and, you know, people wanting to pay you to entertain them mm. for something which I thought was just a year nine hobby. Yeah. So did my dad. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> can't make money with cards. No, the thing is, the thing is, I will say after COVID, after COVID, he was right. <laughs> because oh, that shut goodness. everything. Yeah. I mean, God, I was, I was so like, to be honest, I got lazy before COVID mm. because I was working like six hours a week and, and, oh, wow. and, and making enough money, money oh, wow. for the week. You know, sometimes I'd work nine hours and then I'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm rich this I week. I worked overtime yeah, this week. This week is crazy, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I got pretty lazy with mm. like where I was. Cause I'm like, look, I can do this cool thing, you know? Um, and then COVID hit and then I was like, oh, that's all gone now. Mm. And then now it's like, so now after COVID, I was sort of almost like, I don't know if, first of all, putting all my eggs in one basket, that kind of sucked. And second of all, I don't know if just doing gigs is like what I want to always do. Right. Because first of all, there's a cap, right? Like you, there's only so much you can scale your time for gigs. Like even mm. if you booked out for the whole week, then you're booked out for the whole week. Like there's no more gigs you can you do. You only got so much time to yeah, put Yeah, and then that's one thing, right? But normally you wouldn't be booked out for the whole week. You're, you're doing like seasonal sort of, it's like, it's like during Christmas, like I have- You got like a million. I have, I have magician friends that are like doing like three gigs a day for mm. four weeks. And I'm like, dude, like like to anyone <laughs> working normal jobs, it sounds not like, it's like, oh, what, you know, a gig's an hour. Like, what's the big deal? Trust me when I say that a three hour gig will take it out of you. Because yeah, you're not like just death. like performing and you're not just hanging out. You have to be on. You have to go up to a random group, like be the asshole that stops them from their conversation, maybe they haven't seen each other in two years or whatever. Mm. So they got the, this weird resistance of like, who the hell is this guy? Then maybe the guy thinks I'm hitting on someone. So I have to like massage his ego real quick. Like it, it's just a constant, like I'm constantly trying to fix everyone, make sure everyone's having a good time, mm. do this thing here. If that guy's heckling, I got to fix that. It, 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 you're always on, like you're mm. on, like it's, it's high, high pressure, even though it seems like you're just having fun. So uh, doing the long gigs is hard and then doing like, you know, if you're already at a gig, it's almost like it's easier to just keep going, but doing like going to a new gig and then having right. to, to set yourself up there again. And then that really is bloody hard the to do. Hardest, like, it just takes yeah. energy. It's just, that's what it is. Like, like I'll get home from like a two hour gig and I'm exhausted. Like mm. it doesn't seem like it would, but it does. So I was thinking to myself, like, do I want to do just this, like this to me, although it's freaking awesome, I, mm. I get to do like the thing that I like. But at the same time, there's there's an element of like, you have to do your A game stuff. Like you're not going to go in there with some new shit yeah. that, you know, that they're paying you however much they're paying. You're not going to go into with some experimental stuff. So you end up doing the same thing over and over, which is mm. good because you get good at those things, but then everything else kind of lags. And then if you're not keeping up with like how you said, the upskilling, the making, making it, keeping it a hobby, keeping the fun in it then you don't end up learning new stuff. So you yeah. just end up like being at the same level for a long time, you know? You plateau. Yeah. So the, for me, doing the podcast, even though it's not making money now, it's like an interesting way to keep magic fun because it's like, it gives me an environment where I can do magic, mm. but I'm not, I don't have to do the good best stuff. I don't have to, I can just hang out. We can just sh share a trick in between three yeah, hours of convo. It's quite nice. And it's like, you know, it's that, that's a, to me, that's, that's sort of the idea of this it's more of like a passion project to keep it fun, you know? Because mm. if it's, yeah, the gigs get a bit rough uh, and that's not me complaining. That's just like what I found. What my thing is, I want to talk to someone. I, I want to figure out what the hell, because 
there's this ADHD trait, and I don't know if it's ADHD or anxiety or what, but we have this thing called like freezing. So if you have like a meeting at like 7 p.m., mm. a lot of ADHD people find it hard, ADHD people, I just mumbled that, uh, find it hard to do anything leading up to that meeting. Like, cause they're like, mm. oh, I have a meeting at seven. I got to make sure I'm not late. And then you just end up not doing anything mm. to make sure you make the meeting. Like yep. it's this weird mental block. Um, and I get that with gigs. Like if I have a gig that day, it kind of ruins my whole day. Even if yep. it's only at night, I can't do anything the whole day. Like I, I'm just like anxious and like, oh, I need to get ready. Cause you don't want something to mess it up, right? Yeah. Cause I know like, like I'm, I'm okay with once I'm there, it's like, okay. But like, I don't want to be late. That's my mm. biggest thing. Cause I'm always late. So then like, I need to make <laughs> sure I'm not late for this one. Or like, I, what if I can't find my shirt mm. and then I have to make sure everything's ready. I've double checked my props. Do I have all the cards I need? And all of a sudden I'm like in the stress mode, even though it's like 10 like hours dad away. at the airport kind of mentality. Yeah. It's real weird. So that to me is like the thing that makes me hate gigs is, uh, like the most. So mm. if I can fix that, I think the job itself would be amazing. Mm. Um, but I need to figure out, I, I want to actually like get a psychologist on and see one of these days. Quite interesting. On. You mentioned the ADHD, you know, Katie mentioned to me recently, I don't know, she wanted to like get herself checked in a sense because she was like thinking that she might have ADHD. And I was like, mm, you know, I've known people who have ADHD and they're like incredibly hyper, you know, mm. these are the kind of people who are like, like bouncing off the roof when they get hyperactive kind right. of ADHD. And then I learned that there was actually like different kind of groups. Yeah, it's a spectrum. The so, yeah, the, yeah. The, the weird spectrum of it. And there's some people who just suffer more of the anxiety kind of thing of the ADHD and they, they can't really focus on stuff. Mm. And, you know, they get all anxious about stuff. And Yeah, it's interesting because so the, the common sort of uh, theory or the, the common model we're running on, like sort of the, the psychiatric world is running on, is that ADHD is a huge genetic component. So usually a, a kid with ADHD, you'll see ADHD in their parents or, right. or in some relative, uh, which ticks for me. Like my dad's whole side is fucked. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you try to get my grandma to focus on something, it's going to be a long night. Mm. And then my dad is hyperactive as it gets. I'm sure mm. you've, you've figured that out. <laughs> um, like he'll go to a party, like if he's any at any social event, he'll talk to like one, to, for one minute, which each person, like any longer he gets bored. He'll just pop around. He makes a million friends, but doesn't actually talk to anyone, mm. you know? And then I'm the opposite. I'm like, like, I don't, I'm not very hyperactive. Like obviously I, you know, I have energy and whatnot, but I tend to just start, struggle with focus. Mm. So I get more of those, like, uh, you know, there's other traits we share. Again, it's, it's that sort of Venn diagram sort of overlap. Yeah. Um, but I recently read a book called, I know it's by Gabor Mate, which is a Hungarian author. He also wrote a book called Hungry Ghost, which talks about addiction. But uh, they, they, he, he wrote a book, he's ADHD diagnosed, and he wrote a book about ADHD. He's a psychiatrist, I think. And his sort of theory and, and, and sort of anecdotal research or, mm. or p potentially... Uh, published research, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But basically his idea was that a lot of it is a trauma response. So oh, wow. he, he believes that like the baby, when the baby um, pairs with the mother, right? there's a sort, sort of like uh, nonverbal uh, communication happening between the mother and the baby. And if any traumatic event happens in that sort of crucial stage, that can make the baby hyper-stressed 
and then um, basically like creates this dysfunction in the way it relates to the, the world and to its parents. And mm. its distractibility is sort of a way to evade these sort of like really intense emotions. So if you're, if you're like uh, distracting yep. yourself, you're not in your body, you're yep. kind of dissociating, right? Um, and that's his theory. Now, I know mom was sick with some sort of thing and we had to be separated really early on. So it sort of tracks. I, I mean, anecdotally in my case, it seems like it could be the case, mm. but then dad is also hella ADHD. So there's also the genetic mm. thing. I don't know like who, you know, who's right, who's wrong, but I'm, it's just what I've been reading. Uh, but it's super, it's a super complex issue because one of the things people say it's overdiagnosed and it's probably true, mm. but then it's probably overdiagnosed like in children and underdiagnosed in adults, you know, it's probably this disparity of like True. every hyperactive kids getting popped with pills, <laughs> but then there's probably a lot of ADHD adults that have just gone under the radar because yeah. they, they had good grades and they're just distractible, mm. you know? So it, it's a super complex problem. I don't really, like, I don't know what I think about it even. Like I, yeah. I sort of go between convincing myself it's fake and I just need to push through it to thinking like, no, I'm not exactly the same as everyone else. And then I sort of bounce between these, like, no, you're a bitch. Stop complaining. Do your work. No, I'm a, you know, it's like my internal <laughs> monologue is constantly seesawing. You're definitely right in terms of that early relationship. And it doesn't just have to be with a mother. Also, it's any key parental figure in their life early on. And if they suffer some significant sense of trauma early on, it actually gives them a lot of anxiety leading on from that event and it can have certain effects in in terms of that anxiety and, you know one of them is like they go all like inside and they can't really express their emotions one of them is is more um kind of like an expressive form of anxiety where they're not really able to express themselves properly but they they're more like um, hyper ex hyper expressive more like shallow kind of surface expressive but they're not really giving you what they're truly feeling kind of um and then one is more like a violent kind of mm. tendency um and then it's r interestingly linked as as you say to to really just childhood incidences where you know early on maybe they had some difficulties with um I don't know, family separation or they weren't able to be with their keeper into figure for a while and they lost trust mm. as a result of that. And that loss of trust was important for keeping them in that kind of normal bubble because when you lose that trust, you lose the trust to go and explore the world. Mm. But if you have that strong um, bond with um, that parental figure, you feel confident enough to then venture outside of your home to explore the world and to do whatever you feel like. Right, because if your parental figure, you know, let you down or whatever, then what's what? Who? What are the strangers going to do? Right. Like exactly. Sort of the yeah. Exactly. Of it. Yeah. And it kind of follows that, I guess, you know, same train of thought in that sense. And of course, you know, I'm no psychologist. It's just kind of videos or things that I've heard about this. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess Gabor's point was that ADHD parents, like, <clears throat> based on their own dysfunction, uh, parent kids with ADHD. That he, His idea was that it was not necessarily genetic. It's more the fact that, like, the fact that the parent is ADHD 
and all the implications that has, it creates an unhealthy sort of bonding experience with the child, mm. which then also ends up being distractible. Mm. So that's sort of his point, which I could, I mean, it could be right. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's interesting. And like, um, yeah, like ADHD is a weird one because it seems to be getting more and more popular. Same with autism. But I wonder if it's just awareness or. Yeah. Or, or if that's now, an interesting one as or well. Or if we're just slapping shit on things. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? Like, that's weird. Like, I don't know. Because even the depression idea is being questioned at the moment. Not in the sense of that people don't have it, but more talking about the way in which people thought that it came about. You know, there a lot of the time they thought it was like a very chemical imbalance. And so you need to take these pills to rebalance that chemical structure inside your body. But, you know, some people kind of have theorized recently that it's more tending towards, um, um, I guess, the not really the actions of the person, but more like the environment that that person was within. And the i guess the anxiety that that person feels within their environment or the hopelessness that that person feels in the environment then affects mm. their mental health and as a result of that they get this very low feeling yeah but i think like feeling and of course we're just like armchair psychology yeah right now but that's fine um i think what what like feeling low is a is a useful mechanism mm, like I, I don't i don't think it's something that's wrong Right. Like when I've, lo when I've, okay. So as you said, with my lowest point, right. Mm. For years, I build up my own, my own, my own and, and other people's perception of me as the smart kid. That's going to be a doctor. Yeah. Right. So that was my identity. That's what I identified with. That was my ego. My ego was linked to this identity. And then to have it be ripped away from me in the space of like three weeks, mm. Going from like, oh, you know, I, I pro like I'm, it's a stressful. I probably, you know, fail my exams, but fuck it, I'll cram like every other time. Mm. To the point where like I just fail every paper, and I'm like, oh shit, okay, <sighs> you know. And so, feeling low in a in a space where your identity is just being ripped away from you, it's normal. It makes sense, right? Because mm. you've just like it's a traumatic experience. You've just you have to find a new way to look at the world, to look at yourself. And that's not going to be pleasant because the ego is a survival mechanism mm. trying to keep you alive. So whatever that ego attaches to, right? Well, you know, back in the day, it would have been like, I don't know, you know, some kind of water bucket from the well, right? Or like, or like, I am the chief of this tribe. Yeah. And if I if I'm no longer the chief, I'm fucking dead. Mm. Like, like they've <laughs> they've killed me. Like the other mm. tribe came in and that's it. Took my women and, and my children and whatnot. Right. Mm. So, so like there's a certain amount of like that ego that sort of is supposed to keep you alive is sort of misfiring in the new world where it's like, ah, oh, you fail the test, who cares? But at the same time, that mechanism is still active. Yeah. Right? So I feel like feeling low and those feelings of maybe not depression because depression is often linked with like low energy, like, uh, in a built like sleeping yeah. 14 hours. Like it's really hard to, to, to get anything done, like anything, get out of that hole when you're in that sort of depressive cycle. But I think the initial feeling low, the, you know, all those things are like very useful mechanisms to tell you like fix your situation. Your situation's fucked up. Do mm. something right. Like, you know, whether or not you're in a dysfunctional family, whether or not you're like just making no money, fucking mm. almost homeless, like you, you fix your situation, do what you need to do. 
It feels mm. terrible. Go out and fix it. Right. And then I think some people are able to bounce out of that and, and be like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And other people st get stuck in a cycle and it's like, it's not, I can't blame them because I was there mm. and it's, it's a fucking rough cycle to be in because you're just spiraling on top of spiraling. And then the fact that you're spiraling makes you more depressed and you make, you make yeah. you feel worse about yourself. So then you end up spiraling deeper. Right. So it's, it's very hard to get out of, but like, I think that to me is like probably the difference between just feeling low and like maybe what people would say, oh, I'm, I'm feeling depressed to like a clinical depression where it's like, right. you might actually need like outside influence to get out of that. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and whether or not, how much of that is your own psychology of spiraling influencing the chemical imbalance mm. or just there being a genetic chemical imbalance. Like I'm yeah. sure there's some people that have a genetic fucked up brain that doesn't yeah, like produce the right chemicals, right? I'm hundred percent certain. But I'm sure a lot of people like that. are just like creating their, their own misery through them yeah. spirals and thoughts. And like I've been there, so I know I know I did it. You know what I mean? I'd almost say as well, the comparison culture doesn't help that. Mm. You know, you, you can go anywhere and compare yourself. It's social media just makes it Bro, even there's, there's some magicians out there. Sheesh, I feel like a scrub. I and feel like an absolute scrub. What you always got to remember is you always got to compare yourself to what you were at some previous point in time. And so long as you feel that you've made an incremental improvement in this aspect or that aspect or whatever it was, you can be happy with yourself because right. you know that you've made that improvement from point A to B. You're thinking like an AI. Yeah. You're, you're, <laughs> out, you're out here zucking it up. Muckaburg. The lizard himself. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's so funny how, how, how little human he seems. He does not seem like- he Even human. blinks like a lizard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, but no, nah, seriously, the, the the mentality that you need to have when when it comes to this comparison culture is is pretty insane. And you can always think, oh, always someone's always going to be better than me. But you always got to believe that, you know, actually, if you can apply yourself to something that you're mm. passionate to, and you just keep going towards it, you know, no one can say anything. You know, I mean, even for myself, even though I kind of did this table tennis thing and didn't really work out, at least I could say, hey. I put the effort in, yep. didn't work out. Now no one can say anything. Like. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I, I agree, like the same thing you're talking about is is what I had to deal with, with even with the magic stuff or anything. Like initially everything was a competition, mm. right? And like we're very competitive people. So we that's why we bought, like vibed because yeah. we were like trying to get better than the other person and you'd come up with a move I couldn't do and I'd be pissed and I'd go home and do <laughs> a move you couldn't do, you know? So, so the competition really fueled our interests. Mm. But as I got older and as, you know, you started doing your own thing, Vanya started you know, doing his own thing. And it's like, I'm just out here. Like now all of a sudden, no one wants to beat me. I'm just doing magic for, mm. for what, for what, you know? And so I almost had to learn to, to like the process. Right. And I mm. realized that everything I'm, I ever am good at or get good at in life I don't care about the destination. I don't care about the, the, like, obviously the, the process of improving has to be there. Otherwise there's no, there's, there's no point. Yeah. But that's not actually what I care about. If that makes sense. Like I care about the process of doing the thing. Right. So like with jujitsu, like pretty much when I, on my way home, I'm like, that's another session that I've been able to train. I'm yeah. not injured. I'm not old. 
yo, that was sick. Like I'm able to train. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and whether or not I get better or I become fucking national champion, that's like w- neither mm. here nor there. Like I put in the work, we'll see what happens. But the fact that I was able to train was like, oh yes, you know, and that's when legit. I'm, yeah. when I'm injured, I'm like, bro, like I'm like ha- almost depressed. Cause I'm yeah. like, I can't do the thing I love. So that's the level of thing with magic. It's still kind of hard. Cause it's like half a job. Mm. So when it's a, when it's a job, it becomes harder to keep it fun. Mm. But I'm, I'm striving to do the same thing, like enjoy the process of looking through the fucking old ass book written by Houdini and try to yeah. find a little clip, a little bit where he talks about, talks some shit. And I'm like, oh, yo, I can use this in my act or, or whatever. Like even those boring bits, I'm trying to to have them be like the process of it mm. be like, this is what I want to do. This is what I enjoy doing. And what comes out of that? It always something always comes out of that, but mm. it's just a matter of like not really focusing on that. Because if you focus on that, you go, well, is this move that I'm about to create that's like slightly better than the move that Ed Marlowe did or whatever? Is that going to revolutionize it when Shin Lim's out there winning fucking <laughs> America's Got Talent and shit and like millionaire mm. status? Like, you know, if I start comparing myself, I won't get anything done because mm. this little double lift change is not going to change the world. Mm. So I'm already like, what's the point, you know? So I think that's a huge because for a long time I took a break, a huge hiatus from magic because there was no competition. No one, no mm. one was there to like rile me up. And I realized I have to be that person. I have to enjoy the process, you know? Yeah. You can't get that destination fever. Mm. That's the hard part. You know, like I think modern schooling in a sense really drives that destination fever. You're always trying to reach some kind of grade, some kind of, class that you want to be in next year some kind of thing that you want to do at university i'll Even just get through this test and then I'll everything just get will through be great this test and then when i get this grade things will be fine and you know you'll like cram for this test and then you'll vomit your information onto the test and you'll forget everything afterwards and then you almost leave feeling more sad even having gained i don't know whatever grade you've wanted because you didn't really enjoy it or you don't remember anything that you put on that test and there's nothing applicable. That and, then, and then you get to your it. job and you go, oh, this is just me now. Yeah. Forever. Exactly. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like the existential crisis oh, strikes there. That's yeah. the, I feel like that's the, the, the quarter life crisis, half life crisis yes. where you just start getting a motorbike. You, <laughs> you become like one of those ner- nerd old men driving around, you know, one of those dudes who rides a skateboard shirtless to Taco Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Gets his Taco Bear Bell Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you become definitely. one of the, but no, but like, uh, yeah, like that's what I, another thing that I sort of, when I was in that process of, of killing the ego and figuring out who I really am, um, I started talking to a bunch of medical students mm. and I, I had so many people that were like, yeah, I'm, I'm like fourth, fifth year. I hate it, but I can't stop now. And I was Aww. like, holy shit. Like yeah. I got so scared. Cause I'm like that, if that, let's assume I was a bit more successful and I got to that sp- space yeah. and I'm like, oh, I don't actually enjoy this. Yeah. You can't just, you know, you got hella. You can't stop. You can't stop. You're in there. And then, and then from there, and then from there, you look at all the terrible, like doctor shifts, like you just got to work crazy hours and you're someone's bitch because you're not, yeah. even, you're not Working even a top dog. 50, 60 hour weeks, yep. easy. And, and like, you know, we have a bunch of, do- like, I don't know, two or three doctors that train with us at jujitsu. Mm. And, you know, he's like genuine, passionate about jujitsu, like training all the time. And uh, he got placed to Hamilton and he's like, fuck guys, I can't, I'm not gonna be trained mm. for a year. 
you know, oh, wow. and his whole thing was like, you know, like just sort of because he picked this career where he thought, you know, maybe he enjoys it, but I'm just saying like, I started realizing, oh shit, like there's more than just a career. There's more than like, you know, like, like the passions that you have, the ability to ch to, to follow those passions, the ability to potentially monetize the passions, mm. like just all of, all of those like sort of options aren't there when you're just like stuck into yeah. a career, like where you're just completely that this is what I have to do, you know? Um, so I sort of like started looking at the bright side, but obviously if you enjoy the process of let's say engineering and then you get a great engineering role, like that, then you're there. Like that's all you need. Yeah. And of course there are a lot of great engineering roles and probably the thing I always wanted to do the most was just more understand mm. things. And I think that's why magic interested me the most because most people get amazed by something, but I always wanted to be the person who understood while why they were getting amazed. I think a lot of people want that, but they, they don't have, they don't, they don't, don't want it. They don't want it enough. enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And you, that's where I differentiated. I wanted to be that enough person mm. to at least try to find out. And I, I've dabbled in it for actually, you know, a number of years. And I even, <laughs> do you remember my rope magic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my Some goodness. stage stuff, yeah. Had this like uh, three rope trick where I'd like equalize the length of the rope. Oh uh, yeah, they're all different lengths. Professor's nightmare. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the one. And then I'd make them all different lengths again. And then, you know, everyone was amazed. You were, you were on your way to be, you know, a, a stage magician. Yeah. Like I, cause I was always like really against stage magic to a, this to guy a, was like to the a sleight of hand master no, but, for years. But to a, to a weird degree, like yeah. I was weirdly against it. Like I thought it was like, I don't know what I thought it was. I thought you like, like, bro, you ain't going to get no pussy doing stage <laughs> magic. Like, you know, like for some other reason, I was always like, this is lame oh, as hell. My goodness. But then I realized that it was just how you perform it. Like if mm. you're a lame ass magician being cheesy as shit, top hat, rabbit, all the rest of it, yeah. then it's going to be lame ass. But yeah. if you're like, you know, cool and you got persona and you got stage presence, it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah, if you're Stefan with your Yo, sneakers Oh, then you're suit, good. Then you're then all you good. <laughs> <laughs> those sneakers i reckon that's what he was because you know back in the day he used to hypnotize us i reckon we focused on the sneakers bro and he just put us in a trance bro. straight up i reckon that's what it was and uh he had his um life savings the one event oh yeah the, the one time he pulled out the money the cash of money, <laughs> the cash of money. oh it was funny yeah. This man is trying to buy tricks and he, he rocks up with his like full on life like savings. Five grand like or something. Five grand or something ridiculous. <laughs> and he was just like flexing it. That was so funny. <laughs> oh, you gotta love Stefan. Oh my goodness, this man. Oh, Kyle, thank you for coming on. Honestly, it was it's my been, pleasure. It's been a fun time. It's been good to have you. Um, you don't have any, you're not like a, the problem is I have magicians on here that like have shit to promote. Do you have anything? people can follow you or oh, you really actually post stuff for you. something which people could follow is probably my my wife's art to be oh, honest yeah, that, that is good you should katie's check it out art, um, dot com. katie's art dot katie's com. art dot com k-a-t-i-e k-a-t-i-s-a-r-t -E. there's no e in her oh that's right yeah. you're right yes so katie's art i'll put a link is in the description a-r-t.com and uh she does hyper realistic um drawings she'll do very realistic paintings um she can even do digital art she's honestly such a talented artist like when i think about my degree and what i can do in my scope of engineering she can do like 
everything in art mm. and I'm just like hyper specialized, like specialized in what I can do. And that's it. Mm. And I think about, you know, you being a magician, it's like, as if you're doing stage magic, you're doing mentalism, you're doing sleight of hand, yep. you're doing everything. That's what like she's doing in terms of I'm art. getting there. All right. It's, it's, it's a process. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. she's honestly be doing art for like her whole life, really. Mm. And that's what she's passionate about. And that's what I've been motivating her towards. And so, yeah, Katie's art, definitely check that out. I'll put the link in the description. You should check that out. Absolutely amazing. And yeah, she does wedding commissions, pet commissions. She'll do portrait commissions. She'll do anything you want, really. Anything. But yeah. Nice. Peace. Uh, Kyle McAdam, thanks for having us. Thank you for coming. Thank Well, I've, I Thank have you for you having on, me on. So there we go. Mr. Fettuccini. There we go. I will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace out. Man.